Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grilling JR with the voice of professional wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm good, Connie. Feeling good. Uh, medicals are doing good. Blood sugar's coming down. Uh, those uh, nightly insulin shots I give myself in my fat ass stomach. I got plenty of territory hidden for that needle not to go in the same place twice. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, but my blood sugar, which is a huge issue, that's, what's retarding the healing of my leg, the blood sugar. So it's damned if you do damned, if you don't. So, uh, I've gotten an MRI next week to make sure that, uh, there's no damage to the bone in my leg. Just as a precaution, uh, you know, I don't want to deal with bone cancer for God's sakes. And uh, we're pretty sure that ain't going to be the case. Uh, so I'll get the MRI next week just to bring that to a close, but as soon as my blood sugar gets under control, I'll give you an example. Two weeks ago, my blood sugar was 300. Mm. That's death material. I was told ignorance is bliss sometimes. Uh, so, uh, and then three to four days ago, my blood sugar was 100. So it's coming down. Now it hadn't stayed at 100, it's but still in the low one, low one hundreds. The, the goal is to get it under 200 and to keep it there. So, uh, you know, it's just their dominoes keep tipping each other over. And it's frustrating for me because, you know, I, I have enough knowledge now to be dangerous. Uh, so I, I'm just, uh, you know, taking it a day at a time. I feel great. Uh, uh you know, my leg hurts. Uh, all that stuff. That's not nothing new. You know, it's an open wound and it's been open for over a year. That's that ain't good. Right. So, uh, anyhow, we're working on that and I've got good doctors. Dr. Yorio is my guy here in Jacksonville. He also is one of the Jackson, the Jags doctors, uh, but a good guy. And he's really taking my case under, uh, with personal interest. Uh, I don't know. We haven't talked about him being a wrestling fan or not, but nonetheless, uh, he's been really good. So, uh, you know, I, he's got me hooked up with all these different specialists and boy, it's, uh, the phone rings all the time, uh, about, you know, we've got your appointment for this or endocrinologist appointment. And, you know, I got to go see a, a ophthalmologist because we're finding out that my uh, vision is somewhat blurred at times. So we're going to get those, my eyes checked. I'm good today and I might be good tomorrow, but I'm not good all the time and I want to be good all the time. So it's a lot of moving parts, Connie. And, uh, I really do appreciate all the fans uh, on social media. Uh, cause I read the tweets or the X's or whatever the hell we call them today. Uh, you know, I, I, I really appreciate the support. It's heartwarming. It's heartwarming. And, uh, I, it's, uh, it, it's meaningful. It's not, bu- I'm not bullshitting nobody. I don't bullshit nobody on this show or anywhere, anytime else I keep from it. Sometimes my, my frigging mouth gets me in trouble, but, uh, it's just being honest. So that's where I stand. Good news and more fronts than not. Uh, uh, um, the, the medicines that have been prescribed to me are working and, uh, Mentally, I feel like I'm back in the hunt competitively. 
you know, I have no idea what uh, my, my future is at AEW have no clue. And to be very frank about it, you know, I'm, I'm not worried about it. Yay or nay. I mean, my work should stand on its own after 50 years for God's sakes. I mean, seriously. So sometimes I worry too much and, uh, I think it's just a matter of being an alpha male and wanting to do whatever it is on your, on my terms. And I understand that's not always possible. So, but I do appreciate all the feedback is it, it's very meaningful to me. And, uh, I appreciate everybody's support and their love. Uh, you know, a lot of us been to, for some people I've been in a wrestling life their their entire life. Yeah. Their entire life. And when they hear my voice, it's like right now hearing a clip of Keith Jackson. And I'm not comparing myself to Keith Jackson on a very, very seriously, but when you hear his voice, even on an old clip, it takes you right back. Better times. This was a good time. I, boy, I enjoyed that. That was a great game, whatever. And, and because of social media and, uh, and, and just, you know, all the internet stuff, you know, I get, I enjoy going back and watching some clips of my work. Uh, people don't understand this job is, uh, has multi is multifaceted. Your performance on the air is largely dependent on a, the product you're calling most important and who you're working with. And, you know, I haven't been given the time, you know, I, I enjoy working with Kevin Kelly and, uh, and Nigel, Nigel's getting really good and not that Kevin isn't, but Nigel's kind of a newcomer in that world. And he's doing a great job. I enjoy working with him. He's fun. He's a good guy. I know he wants to have one more match somewhere down the road and I hope he gets it. I saw online the other day, Connie, you may have seen the same thing where, uh, Brian Danielson, uh, said, you know, him and, uh, 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 Nigel would be a hell of a match at, uh, at Wembley. And it might be, yeah, they've had a might bunch be. of gang. I mean, I think the, uh, I think the word that the kids are using these days on the IWC is banger and Nigel and, and Brian had so many bangers in ring of honor. I'd love to see that again. And what yeah, a great story too. it would be for Nigel. I mean, when, when seemingly everybody who went through that ROH system and he was one of the stalwarts there went on to become, you know, WrestleMania and world championship type legends, you know, his, his health didn't allow him that same opportunity. So for him to get. A, a, a real big stage like that at Wembley would just be incredible. That's a, I hadn't heard that, but man, that, that gets me excited. And by the way, tickets are on sale now for that show at AEWTIX.com. Not only that, but you can also get tickets for this Friday night's ring of honor pay-per-view final battle, 2023 Garland, Texas. Here we come. Of course, uh, collision is coming your way the very next day on Saturday. Tickets are on sale for all of that right now at AEWTIX.com. Before you know it, the end of the world will be here. The big pay-per-view it's at world's end Saturday, December 30th. Uh, that's uh, bowl season and man, pay-per-view AEW and bowl games. It's going to be a fun couple of days there. AEWTIX.com. Uh, Jim, I know that, uh, you don't have a crystal ball, but are you able to predict or forecast? Do you have a goal as to when you'd like to be back on the road with AEW and back behind the microphone? Well, sooner than later, Connie, I know that's not a very good answer, not a date. You know, uh, I, I have the, at the corner of my eyes, I have, uh, 
you know, thought about uh, the, the pay-per-view coming up that you just mentioned uh, in, uh, in, in Long Island. But that's just a, that's a, that's a, a hope that I would be healthy enough and able to, uh, work and work to the level that I need to work. Uh, so, but, but no, I don't have a date. I, it's just hard to plan. I, I don't want to set myself up for disappointment. So, and I, if I'm going to do something and I say, I'm going to do it, then it's going to get done, but I can't commit to that right now because I. I still got some ongoing health issues that need to be addressed and they are being addressed. As I mentioned moments ago, it's just a process, man. You know, when you're 71 and you spent your whole life in this business and I have, you know, early twenties when I got in this stuff, uh, no regrets. It's just, uh, it's in my blood. So I want to, I'd like to, as long as my heart's beating that blood, I want to be involved in some way. Cause I still love the wrestling business. It's cruel. Sometimes it's challenging more often than not, but for some reason it's, it's, uh, it's what I love. And now that Jan's gone, uh, you know, I need something to love and I'm not being funny here. I need that. I need to vote. I need to make sure I got something in the works to fill that void. Yeah. And, uh, Cause I can't replace her. God, God bless her. I wish I could. Uh, but in, in any event, it's, it's, uh, you know, that's one that's, that's a date, Connie, that pay-per-view is a date. It's the next big event coming up for AEW. Uh, I'm sure the card will be strong. It's funny how this group of talent rise to the occasion on these big shows. I mean, they, we, we do a real good job. The talents more specifically do a real good job at these big events. We, it brings out the best in them. It seems. Yeah. So, uh, that would be a fun show to return travels. Easy nonstop flight, things like that. People don't understand that when, you know, we all swell a little bit when we fly, it's just the way it is. And uh, that's why I always wear those compression socks on the flights because it's just, they, they keep things together. Uh, and I'm a big proponent of them. Uh, they're a pain in the ass, unless you get the right brand, they're a pain in the ass to get on and off, but, uh, it helps me. So I'm thinking that might be s uh, one, I don't know, goal, I guess you could say, I don't know, but that's uh that would be on my radar. No doubt about that. And. You know, largely it's up to Tony Khan and what he wants me to do and, and getting approval from the doctors so that I can travel. Okay. And, and uh, deal with the swelling and all this other shit. So it's just, but uh, I've just gotten used to the pain and I've just gotten used to the young, un, the discomfort and I'm not encouraging that for anybody, but golly, you just got to deal with it. Be a big boy, put your big boy britches on and deal with it. Hey, speaking of big boy britches, uh, I saw where Alabama's going to play Oklahoma and Norman. Come on, this fall, this fall, and it's it's uh, if I unless I'm mistaken, it's uh during Thanksgiving week. Oh, that can't be. I mean, let me take a look at that because we normally play uh, Auburn right after. Like that's been the way forever and ever. Let me see exactly when that's going down. Hey, man, look at there. November 23rd. 
right. So, uh, we're going to, we're going to be playing you guys in Oklahoma. And then the next week we will host, uh, Auburn. So yeah, the Saturday before Thanksgiving, we're going to Oklahoma. And then, uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, Auburn comes to town. So man, I don't know if you're thinking what I'm thinking, but I'm thinking not only do I need to come to Norman to watch that game, I need to bring my mama to make some of her cornbread dressing on your stove. You may have a deal there. (laughs) That's that's not even a fair negotiation. How do I I say no? Right. I call in a ringer on that one. Hey, I, uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter is so sensitive and, uh, unlike her dad, uh, She's a licensed physician assistant. So she's got that compassion gene in her must be after her mom. Uh, she, uh, she said, you know, dad, every year we get in this conversation, what do we get you for Christmas? You know, you don't want, you know, you got everything you need and that's true. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so I, she said, well, what do you want for Christmas this year? And the thought popped in my head immediately. And I don't even know why. I said, what I would like is for you to make, use my mom's, uh, recipe and make me a plate of dressing, uh, and ship it to me. She thought that was the greatest idea in the world. I love that. Yeah. So she's going to make me, uh, my mama's cornbread dressing and, uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll deviate from my diet a little bit. You know, that's, that's the other thing about this whole process. I've changed my diet immensely. And some days are better than others. Some days are better than others, uh, especially late at night when I want a piece of pie or, you know, something, uh, you know, I like to make, get that pie and put cool whip on it where you can't even see the pie. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I, so that's what I'm going to get for Christmas and I can't wait. I'm so happy. It's made with love. It's made with my mom's recipe. There's all kinds of generational things to, to discuss, but I, I don't need Louis Vuitton. I don't need, and I got that. And I live in a little bitty condo here, two bedroom, two bath. So I don't need to acquire more stuff to go here. And, uh, I'm not in Oklahoma enough. I should be so, but I'm going to go back for the holidays. I think we have an event in, uh, Oklahoma city. Yeah. Right around the corner. I'm hopeful that you're going to be at that one because it feels like an absolute no brainer to have you there. It's going to be Wednesday, December 20th, but I guess we should mention, we sort of buried the lead this Friday as folks are listening to this tomorrow tickets go on sale for stings last match. Yeah. I'm not calling it that, but it's AEW revolution. It's Sunday, March 3rd at the Greensboro Coliseum. And of course, this is where sting became a made man. Way back when in 1988 heads up with WrestleMania four clash of the champions made their television debut. The TBS platform provided the biggest audience in cable wrestling history at that point for Ric Flair and sting Ric Flair is back in stings corner. Instead of standing across from him, he has an undefeated record and uh, we don't know who his opponent will be yet, but we know it's going to be a special night and we know Tony Schiavone is going to be there. And by God, you got to be there. Like if you go back and you watch that clash of the champions match with sting and flair, where sting became a made man, there were two guys on the call that day. It was Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross and Bob Cottle was there. And by God, Bob Cottle still with us. If there is any chance, any possibility, we got to get Bob Cottle at least ringside just to wave to the fans, man in Greensboro for Sting's last match. Like I'm all for it. 
That would be cool as hell. I love Bob. Maybe the nicest man I ever worked with in wrestling. Well, never say, I don't never heard him say a bad word about anybody. And in pro wrestling, that's, that's rare. a rarity. Yeah. R- very rare. So anyhow, I'm with you. I, I hope that I, God willing, I'm knocking on wood right now and ho- hopefully that'll all happen. That was a fun deal. You had two play by play guys that neither of us for sure, what our long-term role was going to be working for Ted and TBS. Uh, so when they told us we were going to work together, we kind of looked at each other like, okay, who's going to lead, who's going to do this. Cause it's like dancing. You both got to hear the same music and, 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 and react accordingly. And I thought we had a, for our first outing, it was, it was great. Tony's so good to work with. He's very easy to work with. I would do a show with Tony, Tony Schiavone, uh, on a weekly basis, anytime. We have great chemistry and we trust each other. That's another thing. I know. I kind of know where he's headed and he know, he kind of knows where I'm headed and you know, we're both good listeners and it takes a good listener to become a good wrestling announcer or any other broadcaster. You got to connect the dots. You got to listen and bring things forward and create your own segue. So anyway, well, uh, sting, uh, what a career, what a nice man. He's another good guy too. Good stuff came to him because he earned it and he deserved it. He never shit on anybody. Uh, he was just a, always been a superhuman being. I'm happy for him. Well, tickets are on sale. Go to AEW revolution in Greensboro and hopefully see Jim Ross call stings last match with Tony Schiavone. Tickets are on sale tomorrow at AEWTIX.com. man. What a historic night that's going to be. And, uh, we do have some other news I want to talk about, but before we talk about it, I think we should at least just briefly mention, I can't believe this is real Santa baby. The season for a fresh cut is finally here with the sponsors of today's show manscaped. The leaders in below the waist grooming have just launched their fifth generation performance package to help you avoid another silent night in the bedroom this year. Take care of your special snowflake with the lawnmower 5.0 ultra and watch your South pole shine like never before. Get the best stocking stuffer of all by going to manscaped.com and using our code Jim Ross for 20% off plus free shipping. Mrs. Claus will thank you. I got to tell you, I have given this gift many times, uh, over the holidays and it is a hit every single time go out of your way to buy somebody in your life, whether it's your favorite uncle, your dad, your grandfather, your father-in-law, there's a dirty Santa opportunity. There will be smiles. There will be chuckles, but it is not a gag gift. This is serious business. They're going to use it. They're going to love it. And it's the gift that keeps on giving. If you're picking up what I'm putting down, Manscaped is a one-stop shop for all your holiday needs. This performance package 5.0 has everything you need. It's the perfect stocking stuffer. And what could be better than giving the gift of good hygiene and a few laughs with the lawnmower 5.0 ultra. It's the crown jewel of the holidays and dare I say the best ball trimmer of all time. It's got the advanced skin safe technology. That way we can make sure there's no nicks or cuts on Santa sack, but the fun doesn't stop there. They've got the Manscaped beard hedger pro kit and the handyman electric face shaver for all of your facial hair needs. Maybe your dad's got some nasty ass nose hairs. Well, we get rid of those (laughs) with the weed whacker 2.0. Maybe their boxer game is weak. Well, check out the boxers 2.0. 
They got a signature jewel patch to keep you cool, calm, and collected. And maybe their nails have seen better days. Well, they got the Shears 3.0 nail grooming kit. It really is an awesome gift for the, the, the hard to guy buy in your life. It's 20% off and free shipping. When you use our code Jim Ross at manscaped.com, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Just use the code Jim Ross and say, ho, ho, ho to a well-groomed mistletoe with manscaped. <laughs> All right. That's great. Good read, Connie. Good read. So whoever writes the copies, uh, very, very bright. I tell you who else is bright. And that's the people who are writing the copy. I'm excited to announce. You can pre-order JR's new book right now. We're going to yeah. go ahead and reveal the cover for JR's new book. This is the exclusive. The first time you're going to see it anywhere. It's a grilling JR on youtube.com business is about to pick up. It's Jim Ross and Paul O'Brien back together again. And what a fantastic cover it is. And you see at the bottom, a quote from the rock on the cover that says Jim's masterful play-by-play -play commentary has always been driven by his passion, his deep wrestling knowledge, and most of all, his ability to make the audience feel the action of the wrestling match. Now the book won't hit stores until March 26th, but you can pre-order the book right now at jrbook50.com. This is an awesome holiday gift idea to let somebody know not only were you on the cutting edge and you got them something that they literally couldn't get for themselves, but they've got something to look forward to. It'll be just a few weeks after Sting's last match, and you can pre-order it right now at jrbook50.com. That's jrbook50.com. I can't believe that's real, man. 50 years in the wrestling business and the new book cover looks fantastic. How pumped are you to have this book released on well, the wrestling it, fans? It's, it's a hell of a read. It's fun, short, short chapters. Uh, you know, it's one of those books where you could theoretically put it in your bathroom. And when you visit the loo, you can, uh, read a chapter, all quick reads, uh, nothing long and wordy like I'm being right now. Uh, but I'm really pleased with it. Paul O'Brien's a genius, uh, truly a literary genius. He's great creatively. We, we, we communicate as good with any business associate that I've ever worked with. So, uh, I think between the two of us, we, we accomplished what we were, we were seeking out. And, uh, I, I hope folks give it a shot. A lot, a lot of stories, a lot of different talents featured. Uh, it's good stuff. Uh, th largely thanks to Paul O'Brien, my stories, his writing, I, I wrote some too, uh, obviously, but, uh, he's the, he's the genius of the family. And that comes to that. So, uh, yeah, check it out, you know, pre-order it. That's what I'd suggest. It'd be make everybody happy. And, uh, I, I think that's a cool deal. So but I like the cover. Don't you? I love the cover. I thought they did a great job with it. And, uh, how cool is it? You were able to get. A little, uh, a little quote from the rock man. Um, among others, you know, John Cena wrote some beautiful stuff. Uh, Bret Hart. I mean, it's a who's who of who endorsed the book and more specifically to my own heart's sake, who endorsed me. Uh, I had great experiences with all those guys. Uh, Brian Gewertz wrote some cool stuff. So, uh, and he's another genius. So, uh, it's, uh, it's fun. It's, it's going to be fun. And I hope folks will just give it a shot. I'm going to be doing the audio book as well. I'm not sure when we're going to do that project, but 
but I may do it right here in my, uh, in my little home bedroom office. <laughs> so anyway, but thanks for putting it on the screen. I appreciate it. And hope folks will react to the message a little bit. It'll be interesting to see how many people pre-order the book. Uh, I'm very curious as to that as the old marketer that I am. Uh, I'm curious to see how that, how that message is uh, going to respond and hopefully, you know, uh, we'll get some social media out of it and, uh, get some tweets and some Facebook stuff. Uh, so people can be reminded, but jrbook50.com is where you pre-order it and, uh, let's get it going. Check it out. Jrbook50.com. Jim, we've been uh, filibustering here for a bit, but our topic today is looking back 20 years to Armageddon 2003, the last pay-per-view on the docket for the WWE that year. And 2003 is not well remembered by many as being a hugely successful year creatively, but the business itself, as far as the dollars and cents, well, it's still riding high. And WWE announces at its investors call that they had the most profitable quarter in years and was on pace for the fifth best bottom line year of any pro wrestling company in history. But I think a lot of fans remember, you know, sort of post the WCW collapse and post the invasion angle. Uh, it's not the most fulfilling time to be a wrestling fan creatively. And I can't help, but wonder how much of this profit is based on maybe not necessarily growing the business, but cost cutting. Cause I guess there's two ways to grow the bottom line. You can yep. grow the top line or cut some expenses. Were you guys as best you can remember in cost cutting mode in 2003? I think so. I think so. I think, uh, it seems like that trend or that feeling came and came and went and came and went. Uh, that's just, I think that's smart business. You know, when your business is challenged, uh, you have to look at, it's all about the bottom line. And so, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, I remember tense times. I remember some layoffs and things of that nature, but it really is, wasn't unusual. It's because it was in our crazy genre of pro wrestling. Uh, you know, I don't know that cowboy Bill Watts ever talked about restructuring or Fritz or Eddie Graham. They, they depended on ticket sales as their one and only mainstream source of revenue. And, uh, you know, that was the thing that I think during this time, WWE was, was looking for new revenue streams and new businesses. And that concept has worked out real well for them. They've become more diversified. And, uh, so it was an interesting time, but you know, golly Conrad, how many times have we said that? What, when is pro wrestling, not an interesting time, either pro or con, right? There's never a dull moment in this crazy business. Let's talk about something that comes up on this investor call, the tape library. WWE had been quietly collecting a lot of these. Of course they bought out ACW and they bought out WCW and that meant they also got Jim Crockett promotions, but they also were able to land the AWA library. And this is years before the WWE network. And we know they're going to eventually launch a WWE 24 seven cable video on demand effort. But we're still a couple of years away from that. But I remember talking to Bruce and he would say when he first went to work for Vince in the late eighties, Vince was talking about a WWE network. Now he couldn't have envisioned what it would become with apps and streaming and all that. But right. I do think he thought there would be a television channel, like a cable network 
that was just sort of 24 seven WWE. What did you think the plan was 20 years ago in 2003, when you guys are amassing these different libraries and cutting these deals, but you're not really doing anything with it yet. What did you think the vision was at the time? I think, uh, I, I remember Vince and I having various talks about this because I was deeply involved in the acquisition of some of these libraries. I remember vividly, uh, flying to Dallas and meeting with, uh, Mrs. Von Eric Doris. Hopefully that was her name. A uh, nice lady. And I, and I negotiated, uh, the purchase of the world-class library, for example, and there were others, you know, little smaller ones and stuff, uh, you know, uh, to, I think we acquired Cornette's library, uh, OVW or Smoky mountain. Sorry. A lot of, a lot of initials. Uh, so, uh, I was involved in it from the start. The example that I remember was that if the weather channel can have a channel completely devoted to weather, as crazy as it sounds, then why couldn't we have a channel akin to the weather channel where we were, this is what we do. We have, it's, 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 it's WWF 24 seven cause the, the, we, we know that the fans are passionate and sometimes obsessed. So, uh, uh, that was kind of where I saw it, you know, that it would be a space at some point on basic cable where our channel would exist. And, uh, that was, I remember talking about that a lot, but the first thing we had to do is get the material to program whatever we were going to do. And uh, I know I remember talking to, uh, Gene Oakland's son, I think it was, his name was Todd, I believe, uh, about the AWA library. I think he was kind of the liaison for that broker, the sale, made himself a couple of bucks. Uh, so, uh, we, we had to get, we had to get material. We had to get enough to program the network and notwithstanding the, the library of that we had the WWWF library and so forth. So that was kind of the thought. But, but it changed from time to time, you know, different influencers would have another idea. Everybody wanted their idea to be accepted by Vince because it gave them the points they felt they required for happiness. And he don't work that way. And most of them that don't get to know him don't know that. So, uh, anyway, I, I thought it had a life. I thought it had a heartbeat. Now, did I foresee, uh, what, what it's grown to? No, I didn't. I'm pleasantly surprised that it did, but it was a challenging thing to get off the ground. And again, the first thing we had to do, if you're going to do a network, what are you going to program it with? And that's what we were working on getting content. Content is king. Let's talk a little bit about the other libraries. Was there anything that you were unable to get your hands on that you were trying to negotiate and figure out? Like we know eventually, uh, Kevin is going to sell the world-class library and, and move to Hawaii and roll tide and good for him. As I understand it, their whole family's moving back or has moved back to Texas and the iron claw, by the way, opens next week. Have you seen the iron claw yet? Do you have any plans to see that movie? Yeah, I, I have plans. I want to see it. I haven't seen it. I want to see it. I have a few friends that have seen it and liked it. And, uh, it's just funny when you talk about wrestling to re with wrestling people, 
the first thing we go to is the glass ha is half empty. Just the cynicism, uh, this pessimistic people in pro wrestling are unbelievable. So, but I've heard it was good and I'm anxious to see it. So, uh, if somebody wants to send me a copy, I'm in, send me a link. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I, I'm, it's exciting for the wrestling business. Great news in wrestling. It's that old expression, man. A high tide raises all ships. I, I, I seen it. I've lived it. When, when McMahon got hot in the eighties, uh, through the WrestleMania craze and all that stuff was the beginnings of WrestleMania, uh, the, uh, the mid South business got better because there was more of an awareness of pro wrestling. And, uh, so I, I remember that vividly, our business increased because of the success of the genre, meaning WWE or WWF at the time. So, uh, I, I, uh, I'm a big believer in that. I, that's why I think we can't be too positive. Let's, 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 let's look at, you know, success Let's be happy for people that are finding success. Let's be happy for people that are, are getting in the business are contributing to the, the development of the business success of the business and call it a day. Don't overthink it. But right now, a lot of things are being overthought. I think. Was there a library you wanted to get? Like, I know there was a lot of talk about the Memphis library and there was a, a big, you know, debate about who really owns it. And does this guy yeah. own it or that guy on it? Was there another library out there besides Memphis that you thought, man, I wish we could get that, that you guys weren't able to Memphis was, uh, certainly on the radar because of the array of talents that Lawler and Jarrett, uh, featured over the years, right? The fact that they had an ongoing, uh, weekly television show, but the issue was, as you alluded to who owns the damn thing. Then that guy, Larry Burton came in the picture, allegedly bought the library, but who did he buy it from? Right. Who was the decision maker that sold it, signed off on it. So, uh, I'm trying to think I would have loved, but I couldn't, a lot of these libraries sound good on paper, Connie, but they are, uh, uh, they're just challenging to get all the pieces together because a lot of them uh, use their master tapes over and over. So they tape over right content. So it wasn't, it wasn't, any, it wasn't available and it certainly wasn't network ready viewing grainy things like that, but that, uh, a Knoxville territory would have been fun because they had a lot of really colorful guys come through there and they're a little bit of the wild west show. So, uh, but we couldn't get that because again, it's hard to establish ownership. And the last thing you want to do is get into a, uh, a lawsuit with the, the quote unquote partners who it didn't like each other anyway. <laughs> so, uh, but nothing really, uh, like I said, some of the more famous territories, master tapes did not exist anymore to save a couple of bucks. These promoters taped over them. Unbelievable. Yeah. So that, that stuff's gone forever. Oh man. It's uh it's crazy to think like there's no scenario where that would happen today. You know, it just goes no. to show you that you said it earlier that a lot of folks in the wrestling business, just the, the persistent pessimism and, and oh. the short-sighted thinking 
the long-term play, everybody knows, Hey, this content has value. Let's stick it on the shelf and, and, and it will appreciate. Yeah. I love this being affiliated with things like that. I love being involved in, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. I see it in my head, uh, maintaining preservation history of history. Of the, yeah. The history of the business. Yeah. Cause at my age and my experience, I kind of have lived through several imaginations of our product and the involvement of it. So, uh, I, I love, I love that. That's like watching old football. I know the, who won the game. It's not, that's not in question. I just enjoy watching those classic football games. It's fun. So anyway, uh, but no, that wouldn't happen. It's not going to happen today. The stuff that's on tape is on tape forever. This show will be on someplace forever. And so you just try to keep moving forward, man. Kurt angles, moving forward. He's going to undergo a second neck surgery. He's got some numbness in his fingers. It's not like the big surgery he had earlier the same year, but still a second neck surgery in the same year. You have to be worried about his long-term health at this point. No. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I, he's so tough. He worked through some, he, where other guys that have more, uh, logic and, and, but everybody don't have a motor, like an Olympic gold medalist and that the, his motor almost ran him into a ditch and maybe it did, but he, uh, uh, he's lucky that he's healthy as he is right now. And I'm happy. I, I love Kurt. He's, he's a, he's a good dude. Uh, and he's, you know, he stays busy on the appearance circuit. Seems like. Oh yeah. So he's, he's out there doing things, but for us to think he's going to have one more match and it's going to be at a Kurt angle level. I think that's a long shot. We should talk about uh, something that happened that I couldn't believe at the time. I mean, listen, in hindsight, I get it. I think a lot of people understand that part of the acquisition from WWE, when they purchased WCW was they had to do some ad spend. They had to have some ad dollars associated. Uh, so TBS and TNT actually run WWE commercials, pushing SmackDown. And that to me just seems weird. I mean, I, I, the simulcast was weird enough, but to see a Turner station running WWE commercials and it happened yeah. here, I believe as a part of that purchase back in 2001, uh, it's kind of interesting to think, you know, what if when that purchase went down, WWE would have had programming on a Turner station that just. That would have felt weird at any point in history. And I know once upon a time, black Saturday was a thing and Vince bought it. And I mean, the Briscoes had a great day that day. I get it, but it's, it's still weird to think about. Is it not WWE on a Turner station? Strange bedfellows, Conrad is how I describe that deal. Yeah. Strange bedfellows. And, uh, but it's funny how all those different imaginations or different presentations, those different, uh, business moves, how it worked out over the long haul. I don't know who lost at any of this deal. I mean, you, you got a company going out of business, but a lot of those guys landed on their feet. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just have, I've tried to be, I'm more optimistic now in my life than I've ever been. Uh, I'm blessed in so many ways and grateful and thankful, but it, sometimes it just, it's, even though you may not know the answer today, sometimes things just have a way of working out. And they did in this case. 
Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Well, something else that works out is uh, the Raw After Survivor Series. It's a great story. We covered that Survivor Series episode in the archives. Check it out right now at grillingjr on youtube.com. But the Monday Night Raw after, Goldberg is going to be taking on Evolution in the main event. Of course, in storyline, Eric Bischoff is totally in charge uh, because Team Austin lost at the pay-per-view. And so it's going to be a three-on-one handicap match, and they're even going to say that Hunter gets a rematch against Goldberg the next week on Monday night raw. These are big time matches on free TV. I mean, I know that it's no longer the Monday night wars, but these are some big time matches that we're putting together. I could see why viewership and profit was there in this era. We had what they wanted to see. Yes. It's like your, your, your business or anybody else's business. If you can provide your consumer with what they are looking for you got a good chance of being successful. And, uh, you know, this is all about ratings, TV ratings, quarter hour ratings, live and die by them, hang your hat on them, all those other cliches. So, uh, yeah, it was a interesting, interesting situation numbers. And, but we had a roster that was laden with stars. We had depth and that depth helped, uh, uh, launch a lot of ships. Luxury liner, shall we say? Not only that, but, uh, the, the, the work by Eric Bischoff in this era is certainly glossed over. I feel like, I think he was one of, if not the best heel commissioner and, yeah, and granted, he good he, job. he's playing off of a great baby face and stone cold, but man, he just, I don't know that there's a better television performer at being a a, t- a heel talking head than Eric Bischoff in this era. He was fantastic. Yeah, he was. He, and he, he had the mindset for it. He had the intellect for it. Uh, you know, he was in a very, I've always admired Eric because he came into a situation where, uh, he clearly was the enemy at some points in time. And, uh, you know, I, I did the best I could to, as a talent relations person, uh, to make sure he was getting a fair shake. That there wasn't all the bullshit going on in the locker room area. Not that he couldn't handle himself. He can, but, uh, he, he was, he, he was, he's extraordinarily talented in that role. It was a role made for him. I mean, yes. really it was, it was a perfect fit. It's good casting, good booking. So, uh, yeah, he did a great job. Let's talk a little bit about Randy Orton. He's going to cash in a wish for the intercontinental title against Rob Van Dam. And he's going to cut a promo talking about the great intercontinental champions of the past, like Ricky steamboat, Greg Valentine, Pat Patterson, and the honky tonk man. And of course, Hunter's going to get a little hot that he didn't mention him. We know eventually they're going to break up. So this is a nice little bit that we see here, but one of my favorite things that happened on this show is Matt Hardy coming over to raw for what feels like it's going to be a proposal to Lita, but instead Molly Holly interrupts and she wants a mixed tag with Matt and Lita teaming up with Bischoff as her partner. The idea here is if Lita wins, she'll get a title shot. 
but if she loses, she's going to be fired. Well, in the match, Matt refuses to tag in. So of course, Lita takes the pin and Hardy cuts a promo saying he chose the title and dumps her. And there's some great storytelling. I mean, this is an excellent way to say, Hey, you were more interested in winning the title than me. So I'm going to dump you to go from in the same episode, a proposal to I'm dumping you. This is how we, we create a heel character. I mean, I thought this was really well done, but it did feel like there was at times a glass ceiling for Matt Hardy in WWE. We know that Jeff would go on to be the champ and, and sell a ton of merch and be featured, be in a lot of main events and have a lot of big opportunities in WWE. But as a singles performer, it felt like Matt never really achieved that same success. And I wonder why that is from your perspective. I think having consistent, the old push, making sure that, uh, his push had continuity. Yes. He was on and he was off. He was on and he was off. I think he proved in that, in that uh, program there with Lita that he, he, he was, he was a good character that he could talk. And that was this, the situation is always that if there was any negative about the Hardys, it was the fact that they were the perception was that neither Jeff or Matt were great talkers. Cause you got to remember who all was in the company that they're being compared to talking wise, a lot of talent. And so, uh, but I thought, uh, and that leader thing that we showed a picture of, uh, they were great, you know, and, and Jeff got over without doing a lot of promos shows you that you can get over if you can connect with your audience and nobody can ever refute the fact that Jeff Hardy connected with his audience and did it big time. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how many, I, at least once a week or twice a week, somebody will send me a clip of where I said something along the lines of climb the ladder and make yourself famous. Yeah. When he worked, when he worked with taker, that line just kind of hung out there. It's not gone away. So it must've, must've worked, uh, to some degree. So I think that's what it was. The perception was keyword perception that the verbal skills of the Hardys were not up to the speed that was desired by a lot of the decision makers. And in that lead of program, uh, Matt certainly proved that he could talk. Jeff didn't have to talk. And if you don't have to, don't do it. If you're going to be, if you're not going to be resonate, Jeff was just, uh, his actions spoke a lot louder than his words. Matt proved to us all that he could carry the load in that regard. It's interesting. Cause it just feels like as a fan watching at home, maybe Vince just isn't sold on him or doesn't believe in him. And you know, uh, he's got some interesting creative, but it just feels like there's a glass ceiling and maybe that same sort of thing exists for a performer like Lance storm. He's at ringside for a match between Val Venus and Rico. And the story as crazy as this is, is that Lance is now <clears throat> well endowed and all the women love him. And there's a spot in the match where Jackie Gata backs up into him and feels, you know, uh, this is a lot for a. I mean, the Lance storm character that I really enjoyed in WCW. And before that in ECW, he's this straight laced, no yeah. gimmicks needed. Going to give you a great match. You know, if I can be serious for a moment, 
And now what if he had a big dong? Seems a little silly. It was. You're right. <laughs> I, I'm surprised that Lance even went for it. I think he was just afraid to disagree. Yeah. He wasn't on, he was on steady ground, but golly, it was, uh, everybody was on pins and needles. You don't want to say no. How is it going to be perceived if I say no, or I show any resistance or discomfort in this characterization? Uh, Lance storm is one of my favorite all time performers. If I owned a territory, Lance storm would be one of the first guys I would want to hire. Cause he can work as a baby face. He can work as a heel. He was durable. He was reliable and, uh, just, uh, prince of a human being. So, uh, I'm surprised that he went for it as, as willingly as he seemingly did, but I can't believe at the end of the day that he was totally happy with that, that, uh, creative. I'm sure Rico wasn't thrilled with his creative either. If you were reading the observer. You were seeing all these reports from Dave about how great Rico was doing down in OVW and how he was, you know, checking all the boxes and felt like surefire. And then he gets to the WWF on the main roster and it just doesn't feel like it ever really connected. And I'm wondering, is this another thing where Vince just didn't get it? Is it a case of bad creative? Was the timing not right? I mean, he seems like a beloved guy and, and based on everything I've read, people thought, man, in OVW, he was this huge, like can't miss prospect. And now maybe not so much. Well, it's different booking in OVW than it was in WWE. His characterization, his presentation was, it was, was different. Uh, but he was a good guy. Uh, you know, former cop from Vegas. Uh, I always enjoyed working with, with Rico, you know, uh, I saw a ceiling. I saw that, well, he's a. If it, for the lack of a better term, a semi main guy, he may not ever be on top of the card, but he'll always be in the upper third of the card based on what we're seeing in OVW. Uh, so, but it's it just, it, it's all timing. Timing, uh, is, is crucial and you can't control it sometimes. Let's talk about another little romantic angle that we're going to see on the program. Lita's shown leaving the building because she's been fired. Christian's going to approach her and let her know, uh, that his wish was to save her job. And the next segment we see is Jericho trying to hit on Trish and it doesn't seem like she's going to have it. But then as Meltzer points out, they start making out quote unquote, pretty graphically. Uh, and this is the beginning of that Trish Christian Jericho story. That's going to run to WrestleMania and beyond. I thought Jericho and Christian made something you talk about making chicken salad. When this first gets started, I'm thinking, oh God, I hate these wrestling romance angles, <laughs> but they really delivered. These guys were gamers. They were invested in it and it just jumped off the screen to me. what do you think of this love triangle? Once they get cooking with Jericho and Christian, all three of them want to be stars. Yes. All three of them want to be, uh, on, on the top of the page. Uh, they all were driven, motivated. Uh, and so when they, their combined efforts, uh, worked out um, amazingly well, you know, you have three very talented people and you know, the nice thing about this situation, I'm not saying Trish didn't contribute to the creative cause I think she did. Uh, but Jericho and, and Christian, uh, were both, uh, you know, they're both creative guys. Right. And they wanted to be on top and they wanted to be stars. 
They wanted to make more money, all the normal stuff. So, uh, but they all pull that off real well. It, it, see, I've said this before on the show. It, you've got to assume ownership of your TV persona, persona. Uh, you got to contribute to it. And, uh, and those guys contributed to their ownership. They owned it and they did a great job. I think it was probably, uh, nobody had the expectations that they personally, I'm sure had, but I think a lot of people within the upper management didn't They think, well, it'd be a nice little deal. It'd be a good TV story. And it got over. Let's talk about, uh, the main event of this raw evolution is unable to get an advantage on Goldberg until he eventually can overcome the combination of an RKO, a Batista bomb and a pedigree <laughs> Hunter gets the pin and then Kane comes out because it looks like they're trying to break Goldberg's neck in a chair. So you think Kane is here for the save, but in fact, Kane winds up choke slamming Goldberg to end the show. And, uh. I don't know. It feels like, you know, it's, it's one man against the entire locker room at this point. Um, let's talk about Dustin Runnels. His run with the company is going to come to an end in this era. And it's announced that even with his contract, not expiring until January, that he will not be renewed. This was made public in like late November, early December. And that's not something you guys normally did. You know, you would wait until the contract expired and then wish them well in their future endeavors on the website, that sort of thing. Do you remember or recall why this one was made public and in advance? That was a Vince decision, hundred percent. And I don't know exactly why I don't know his reasoning behind it. Uh, but you know, I, and this might've been the period I had, cause gosh, it's hard to remember all these time periods, uh, and what went on and what didn't, uh, it, it may have been part of a distance, a period where he was having some drug and alcohol issues. And the, his, his reliability component, uh, took a hit. So I think I, that, I think if I had somebody held a gun in my head, that was, that could have been part of the reason, but you know, uh, Dustin on gold, gold dust. He did. He did a fun. I, I love that character. Still find it very entertaining. I see little clips here, there, and yawn. I remember, uh, some of the stuff we did where he had Tourette's I thought it was hilarious. Very entertaining. So, uh, and I've changed my view on that stuff a lot. I still don't believe that heels should be comedians. Right. Uh, personally, if somebody, if you're, if, if a talent is making somebody laugh, uh, then, then how do I hate them? They entertain me. They make me laugh. Uh, to me, it's a conflict of interest in that respect. I don't remember all the details of it, but it, it could have been some some issues there. Uh, and, you know, thank God Dustin's clean and sober and he has been for years and he looks great. The son of a bitch can still go out there and wrestle as good as anybody we got. Uh, he's, he can have a selective booking. He can have a great match with just about anybody. I can tell you that, uh, the match that Dustin had with Cody might've been, I'm trying to think of one that would top it. I can't off the top of my head. Might've been my favorite match that I called so far in AEW. That was just at the first of show of all things too. Yeah. Just a piece of art. It is. Those guys should be, should, should always look back on that night, that match in that city fondly. You did your work and the dream would have been extremely pleased of how his two boys delivered 
in the uh, in the spot in a very bright spotlight. You got to have a great match. It's not an option. Y'all just go out and have a good solid match. Nope, can't do it. You got to go above and beyond. And they did, and they succeeded. Well, somebody else uh, we should talk about in this era is Kevin Nash. Uh, Meltzer would say his contract is coming due in February. And he can't imagine that it's going to be renewed. If it's in the reported $700,000 a year range, I know he's got a neck injury at the time and Meltzer speculating that perhaps Nash might wind up in a creative role with the company. We know that he did his thing with uh, WCW in a creative capacity. Why don't you think we ever saw Kevin contribute to WWE creative over the years? I don't know. I've always thought that was a missed opportunity. Yeah. Kevin's sharp guy, smart, high IQ. Has enormous product knowledge, a survivor. Uh, I, I would have, I would have done all I could, uh, within reason, which speaks strictly to the money. Uh, but I would have done all I could to get him involved in creative. He had a good time. He had good timing. He had a great feel for the game still does. So, uh, and look at his track record. I don't know how many five-star matches Kevin Nash had. But I don't know that anybody gives a shit. He, he drew money. He was an attraction. People tuned in to see what he was going to do next more often than not. But I think he, that was a missed opportunity to not have him involved in creative. We should, uh, mention that raw, the next raw is in salt Lake city and they're going to do raw roulette. I really like that concept raw roulette. I know it's gimmicky. I know it's silly. I know it's a callback to spin the wheel, make the deal, but raw roulette. what do you think of that? Well, I liked it because I suggested it. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I pat myself on the back, break my, as Mon would say, don't break your arm, patting yourself on the back redneck. I love that. Uh, uh, yeah. God, I miss him. We lost a lot of the heart and soul wrestling when guys like monsoon passed. I agree. And all those cats. And I was so lucky. I got to learn under those guys. I got, I sat under those learning trees for as long as I was allowed. Uh, so what were we talking about? Uh, raw roulette and you oh, raw it. roulette. Yeah. Well, he just wanted a gimmick and wanted an idea and you know, I, it, it made a little bit of sense. And yes, I did steal the concept, basic concept from spin the wheel, make the deal. So, but it was just, uh, I think Raw roulette just had a good ring to it. And it was one, something we could control and, and, uh, the matches could be provocative and entertaining and unpredictable. And, uh, there's old Eric doing his thing. It's a so, super uh, fun segment. And, and we've also got on the same show Goldberg and triple H, you know, we, we announced that match the prior week, the match itself here does a 4.4 rating, hell of a strong number. Uh, of course, uh, evolution still a thing. And, and Batista is under the learning tree of, of triple H and he's going to be paired with Shawn Michaels. If you're a young guy, uh, trying to, you know, get your footing underneath you. I, I can't imagine a better dance partner for you than Shawn Michaels. Right. Oh gosh. No. Yeah. Sean's doing a great job in his current role and, and, uh, his made all these wonderful life changes. Uh, he's doing a tremendous job as a, you know, for lack of a better term as a booker, uh, and, uh, just, uh, from what I hear, he's, uh, loved with, with his, with his team and you gotta have that. 
You got to have that. They got to be com- They have confidence in you. Trust. Very key trust. And, uh, my God, he can, he can, uh, he, he's just a great coach, great teacher. And, uh, it is a lot of guys that are great. Can't teach it. Uh, he, Sean Michaels can teach and coach. And, uh, I'm happy for him because I was there in the darkest days. I saw, you know, here's a guy that didn't work for four years. I think it was four years and I, and he got paid lots of money. Yeah. Four years. Cause Vince, Vince loved him. And Vince always said, he reminds me of me. Mm. So, uh, a little bit of a rebel and, uh, very polarizing, shall we say. We should also mention that, uh, this, this, uh, raw roulette affords an opportunity for Victoria to wrestle Lita, who is back one week later after being fired in a steel cage match. And just like it was, uh, Dallas with Ric Flair and the Von Eriks, Matt's going to slam the door on Lita's head as she's escaping. So last week I'm going to propose, but when you picked your title opportunity over me, I dump you, you lost your job and I helped you lose your job. And a week later, I slam a cage on your head, dude, they are really investing in Matt as a heel here. But what'd you think of the decision to have him slam the door on her head? I mean, clearly that would never happen today with sponsor concerns and things like that. Right. But it was old school. It is the way you get a heat on a, I mean, if, if this is this beloved figure and we want to make sure there's nothing beloved about him and he's hateable slamming a cage door on a lady's head will do it. Yeah, it works. Yeah. <laughs> it works. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was, a. Uh... Interesting angle. The only, the only thing I didn't like about it was her return in a week. Yeah. It just takes the air out of the stipulation. It takes the air out of the concept of the match it helped the previous week, in my opinion. And, uh, that's the only thing I didn't like about it, but the talents pulled off their end of the bargain perfectly and did a hell of a job. So, uh, again, Matt taking advantage of an opportunity to speak. He's not the Harpo marks of pro wrestling where he's just a hawk of horn to communicate. Right. He, he took advantage of this opportunity to talk and he, I thought he delivered. Uh, we saw that Lita had great skills in that, in that, uh, non wrestling or angle type role storyline type role. Uh, I think sometimes she was underestimated as far as her sex appeal, uh, was concerned and her popularity. Lita had a, that beautiful smile those high cheekbones, very photogenic and was having the time of her life. At least I think she was, she seemed like she was, but what, you know, when talents get involved and have a wrestling relationship, all bets are off. All bets are off because you don't, you don't know how those relationships are going to end up and uh, what's going to be the eventual outcome. So, uh, but it gave those two talents specifically off the top of my head an opportunity to be heard and seen in a key role on television. And they came through. We, uh, we got to talk about the fact that Christian's going to come down and make the save. We're building towards Christian and Matt. And, uh, next up we see Randy Orton defeating Sergeant slaughter. This is when Randy's keeping this whole legend killer thing going as a reminder, 
Sergeant Slaughter's 55 years old here. And the perception is, you know, oh, look at this, this old timer, Lord bless his heart sort of thing. Today, Chris Jericho's 53. He's two years younger than Slaughter is here. It's interesting to me how perception of time and age has changed in wrestling. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm pulling for that concept. Yes. <laughs> for me, be selfish. Uh, yeah, I, I see what you're saying and I agree. I agree. It's changed. It's, you look, I saw where, uh, you know, my God, how long did Vince Scully broadcast for 50 years? Yeah. Keith, I mentioned Keith Jackson, one of my heroes earlier, all those decades and decades of, uh, productivity becoming, becoming the voice of college football. It's all, it's awfully hard to, for your voice to be identified with a genre automatically, instantly. And both those guys, Ben Scully and, and Keith Jackson, for example, uh, that, that happened in their career, they earned it. And so uh, they should not be taken out of their slot because of what the, how, how old it says they are on the driver's license. Can you still get the job done? If you can get out there and do it. If you can't bow out gracefully and many of us are not ready to bow out gracefully. 67 years, I think is how long Vince Scully did his thing until he was like, I mean, I think he was like 86 or 88. I mean, he was, yeah. he was up there when he finished, but yeah, 67 years behind the microphone for Vince. That's, an, that's astonishing. That's astonishing. That's where you get a gold watch. Yeah. <laughs> and, a, and a day in your honor or something like that. But, uh, he's, uh, yeah. Age should have nothing to do with it. That's like sex, uh, not having sex. <laughs> Thinking back to blue Juice commercial earlier today. Uh, but you know, uh, it's, uh, it's just timing, right place, right time, chemistry, all those things are going to play in this top particular topic that we're talking about. We should mention, um, a little write up from the observer here, because every now and again, we think about how wrestling has changed. Like we were just having that conversation about age. Well, check this out. There was a show long skit where hurricane and Rosie were chasing a midget. That's the word used here called Fernando all night. The midget looked up Terry's skirt. So she in high heels was in scenes giving chase as well. There were only two funny things about this. First was a skit with storm and Venus hitting on some conservative salt Lake city women who were worried because they thought the wrestlers were strange as storm was acting normal. Hurricane and Rosie were chasing the midget. The other was when someone asked me if WWE was introducing minis and why they were chasing mini RVD. The skit ended with Fernando jumping in Jim Ross's lap and Ross being declared the winner, which it seemed pretty clear Ross would have rather done without. Yeah, look at Lawler's face. Lawler loves the misery of others. <laughs> Anytime I got put into a compromising position, he could not be any happier. God bless him. He had a birthday here about a week ago. King did. Happy belated birthday, buddy. So uh yeah, it was uh I did a lot of unique things on that show. That's why I'm so associated with Monday nights. Yeah. Uh, at one time, not today, but right, you know, right, right. Tenure and experience, memories, some of them last.
is Vince, uh, I mean, this seems really weird and out of place. We know that Brian was the comedy writer and certainly there's, this is written for comedy, but we know that Vince has, uh, his taste. Was he, was he a big fan of, uh, little person comedy skits? Was this something that he was, of course. Yeah. Yeah. That they, they were on the same list of toilet humor. Yeah. Uh, you know, uncomfortable, you know, the sexual stuff. Uh, he, he loved that. He loved, you know, so yeah, he had his picadillos as they say, he had his particular things that he, he always got a chuckle out of. And if you could take Vince an idea that he was, that he laughed about or that he seemingly enjoyed, uh, you get a, you get a merit badge. So, uh, and I think that's where we were with that, with, the, with that, with that deal. Uh, who was the booker then? Was Russo the booker at that time? Uh, no, he's gone in this era. This would have been, you know, the whole committee with Brian and others. Brian was always the glue that held that thing together. I'll be honest with you. He kept rock happy. And that was very, very important. Hey, I want to ask you something about Brian because he, uh, he tweeted something and, and I know we don't, we don't spend a lot of time talking about, you know, the modern product, uh, certainly not on the other channel uh, a lot here, but there was a big segment, uh, this past Monday night with CM Punk and Seth Rollins. And there was a report that came out, uh, amongst all the news websites that said that there was no producer for that segment. And it was written in a way where, you know, they're giving credit to the, the office for letting the guys do their thing and, and for not scripting it word for word and that sort of thing. And Brian quote tweeted it and said, this is so stupid when there's no physicality, there's no producer assigned to the segment. It's been that way forever. It doesn't mean there's not a writer working with talent. The bigger question is why is anyone within the company sharing scripts slash rundowns with anyone outside the company? And I know that you dealt with a lot of this. I wanted to get your take on Brian's tweet here and his bigger question. Why is anyone within the company sharing scripts and rundowns with anyone outside of the company? Was that a big issue that you remember trying to get your arms around in WWE? Well, you know, you always try to address leaks and things that spoil surprises. Uh, it's just counterproductive. Uh, so. I would have a hard time disagreeing with Brian Gewertz on virtually anything. Our, our philosophy of the business was unique, different. Uh, I have my opinion. He had his, but that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean one's right and one's wrong. This means we have two different mindsets and there's more than one right way to get something done. So, uh, Brian's is really sharp. He was, uh, he was a very crucial player and that's why his book is so entertaining. Uh, it's just, uh, r- really well done and it's got great stories. And this is, it's like, uh, the, the, our, our book business is about to pick up is, uh, it's, it's got a lot of short reads mm. that makes it more reader friendly in my opinion, but Brian's, I, I, I can't, I can't go off course to what he's saying. We should talk about, uh, the main event here of this Monday night raw it's Goldberg and Hunter. Uh, they go six minutes and 15 seconds. Meltzer says it's the best match. These two have had up until this point, probably because it was kept short, but as a reminder, this is in salt Lake city, the very same city where Goldberg made his television wrestling debut 
on for Monday Nitro, like six years and change earlier. But this is only his uh his second time wrestling a match here on TV in Salt Lake City. And I don't know, I just found it interesting that you know, the same city where he had a debut for WCW, years later he's gonna be in the main event as the champ for the WWF. Um, and it does feel like they started to, towards the end of Goldberg's run here, finally, quote unquote, figure it out. Like what the best way to position him is. Sometimes that takes a little time, Conrad. It takes a little trial and error. Yeah, It really does. We remember the errors, but, uh, it's a trial and error proposition. What, how, what is our best way to position this unique talent? And Goldberg certainly was a very unique talent. He's still a unique guy. I have a lot of respect and admiration for Billy. You know, the old story that, uh, I saw him first on, when he was playing football for Tulsa Edison high school, he was a dominator. He was the best defensive lineman in the state. And he signed with Georgia that broke a lot of our sooner hearts because he was that dominating. So, uh, but I've known him his entire adult life and I, I just, I've never had a bad moment with him and we've had plenty of opportunities but we never did. He classy guy, but you got to figure out what it's going to take. Go back to Steve Austin's, uh, maturation. It, it took trial and error and it, it worked. It worked out. I think Austin got over. All right. I think it worked out. We're going to talk about how Austin, how over Austin is after we finish talking about this raw Kane's going to come out at the end of this match between Hunter and Goldberg. And that turns it into a three-way brawl and Bischoff announces, Hey, we're going to have a three-way with you guys at Armageddon for the title. And interestingly enough, even though it does a 4.4 rating, that's not actually the main event. The main event is Shawn Michaels and Jericho teaming up to take on flair and Batista. Sean's going to super kick flair, but Jericho turns on Michaels and super kicks him, but Sean still falls on flair for the pin. But the match itself is a bit of a mess. The pyro doesn't ventilate properly. So the whole arena is filled with smoke. Flair's going to bust his face open on the ropes accidentally. After the match, Sean is, uh, going to get the Batista bomb and Batista's going to choke him out. Sean's actually bleeding from the mouth. It's a hot finish to a Monday night raw here, but talking about hot, you mentioned how hot Austin was. Check out this write-up from Dave in the observer. Austin did an autograph session this past week in Houston. That saw about 1500 people come and 900 books sold at a Walmart and a similarly successful one at the Fort hood army base with Jim Ross that drew 2000 folks. Yeah. He's, who drew that house? <laughs> might be a coin flip with you and Austin. Yeah. All right. Uh, he's done a few more in recent days and selling similar numbers at all of them in Fort hood. They were there for two hours when the time was supposed to be up to make his flight back home that night. And they asked to cut off the line, but Austin refused right. saying he was going to sign for everyone who came and wound up staying an extra three hours. He also stayed an extra several hours in Houston telling people he didn't want to turn away anyone who came for an autograph. This is something that respectfully, a lot of talent wouldn't do. If right. there was, if there was an easy out and there was a flight booked and, and it's not an excuse, it is a real travel circumstance. They'd say, well, I'm not missing my flight. Austin said, screw the flight. I know it's going to cost extra money and be a hassle and inconvenient. These folks are here to see me and they're going to get what they came for. It tells you a lot about the person, Steve Williams, not this Steve Austin character, right? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he, it wasn't even an option, Conrad. I was there. I yeah. was, I was on site. Uh, it wasn't even a, a, a discussed option. It's just, he saw the volume of people. Uh, he's not going to run them through the line, like a cattle call, like they're Brandon steers or something. Uh, it was just a matter of fact, we're going to stay until we get everybody signed. And so I stayed at the same deal. I a long time. Uh, and, but that's what he wanted. You do anything as a head of talent or a booker or whatever role you're in that day, you do whatever you got to do to keep your talents happy, and especially the top talent, just to be perfectly frank and upfront. And if he wanted to stay extra, then by God, I'm going to stay extra with him because he's my guy and he's our guy. He's the, he's the, he's the focal point of the promotion. So why would I not do everything I could do to make a uh, talent happy? I did it with a lot of guys. So, uh, that's a bad shot of me with my stomach. What am I going to do about that? Well, you don't anyway, have it anymore. Come on now. I lost a lot of weight. You have, you're shrinking over there. I know. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, uh, but that's what you do. You know, I remember I learned that from the Watts, you know, Watts used to take care of guys. He was, he babysat the junkyard dog for forever. Because JY was our top guy and was selling the most tickets by far. And so cowboy made his life as easy for him as he could. For example, when he got, when he buy a guy, a, a designer Lincoln continental, like he did for Ernie and he did for, uh, JYD, uh, you know, that you're doing all you can because the travel was on the, in a car. Everybody wouldn't fly them here to their private planes and all that stuff. I wonder how some talents today that are spoiled with a private flight are ever going to be able to transfer back to commercial. It's a different world. It's a different world on your own plane. You don't hear any crying babies or people complaining about whatever. It's just a whole different mindset. And so when guys get to that point in their career where those private planes are not available. It's going to be interesting to see how they, they, re, they re, react. Let's, um, let's mention some new signings that are going to be coming up to uh, OVW for developmental deals. John Tolan, Chris cage, and Mark Magnus. Of course, we know eventually Mark Magnus is going to go on to become Muhammad Hassan. And it's also pointed out that Christopher Daniels was brought into a camp for OVW by Jim Cornette because he's hoping that he can help get him signed to WWE. It never happens. We know that he had some tryouts that we saw here and there, and there was rumor and innuendo that maybe he could have been the higher power that never really shook out. And we know these days he's got a, a big time job behind the scenes with AEW, and he had a yeah. really fantastic career for both ring of honor and TNA, but it did seem like WWE was like that box. He just couldn't check. Was Vince not sold on him or why did Daniels not connect with WWE? It certainly was not because Conrad Chris couldn't work. Yeah. He could work with anybody. Very, very underrated. Uh, and he does do a great job for AEW. He's a valuable member of the team. There's no doubt. Uh, but he just, for whatever reason, Vince just never saw it in him. He just never, you know, he just, he didn't think he had it. And, uh, I disagree, but nonetheless, uh, we all know who had the final word there and it was, uh, the boss. 
A few weeks later, we see Brett Albright, uh, or Brent Albright, who's going to have a a brief cup of coffee in the, uh, WWE and Bobby Lashley. He's going to come in a top rated amateur wrestler. Um, I assume that both of these guys, certainly specifically Bobby Lashley, they're on Gerald Briscoe's radar or how does this come to be? Yeah. Gerald, I think Gerald was the primary recruiter for Bobby, uh, through the amateur side. Gerald did a phenomenal job there. Just uh, his wisdom and his eye for talent is uh, unlike anybody I've ever been around. Uh, Albright, if I'm not mistaken, was an Oklahoma kid. uh, Had kind of made a little positive reputation for himself on the Indies. Uh, Was getting regular work. Pretty solid hand, no doubt about that. But, you know, he just was missing the it factor. And you can't teach that. You either have it or you don't. And, uh, but I would love to seen him to get a, a little bit longer, you know, longer opportunity just out of being a Oki. But, uh, yeah, we, we're always looking for people. I don't, you know, it's hard. It was hard. It was unique. If a week went by Conrad, we didn't sign somebody because we're always looking for the next big thing, so to speak. You're right. Brent Albright is a Tulsa, Oklahoma guy. As we're talking today, he's just 45 years old, but he retired 12 years ago. He started wrestling when he was 20 and and wrapped it up when he was 33. Uh, Another one of those guys that you saw his name so much, but if you kept up with the newsletters and things, you're like, man, this guy's going to be the next big thing and pretty crowded roster. Hard to get the attention of the ultimate decision maker and just didn't shake out. But somebody who did have Vince's attention, maybe in a bad way was Randy Savage. I bring his name up here because he's actually interviewed for the new SmackDown magazine. So you may remember there was a WWF magazine. And then in the late nineties, they added the raw magazine. Well, now they're going to have a SmackDown magazine. And there's been lots of rumor and innuendo as to why Randy was never brought back into the fold. It feels like Vince was able to forget and forgive and, or whatever it is with, uh, with Scott Hall, with Kevin Nash, with the ultimate warrior. With- That's being a good promoter. You sign guys that you believe are going to make you money, whether you like them or not, whether you're going to have Christmas dinner with them, or you're going to exchange gifts or whatever. I'm being facetious, but if they help your company's bottom line, you can forgive and forget a lot of things that happened prior to that. Cause still the bottom line for the stockholders and for your partners and for your company is to make a profit and significantly increase that bottom line as, as regularly as possible. And we all knew that Randy was going to be, is a, you know, he's a star, a great name identity. So, uh, you know, I didn't get along with him, but that don't mean nothing. Don't mean a thing other than we had different philosophies and he was a little bit of a bully and, uh, unpredictable. And maybe that's what made him a star. If it did more power to him. Well, Jim, I got to ask, you know, I think a lot of people just automatically, cause listen, there's silly, stupid rumors and gossip out there. That's not true about why Randy wouldn't have been brought back. And it was a personal issue with Vince and blah, blah, blah. But to hear what you just said, I'm reminded of the fact that, Hey, you're running talent relations. And if you weren't necessarily high on him, maybe we don't need to look any further. Or, or do you think ultimately your, uh, feeling and position was. Hey, he's not going to wrestle. So what are we going to do with him? Why would we entertain a conversation with Randy? Well, and he's going to get paid a lot of money. If you're going to get him, he's going to, he's going to have a nice, uh, 
uh, nice sticker. Yeah. You know, I don't know what the MSRP is going to be on that deal, but it's going to be a lot of money and he's not going to wrestle, uh, or we didn't think he was going to wrestle. So, uh, I don't know, Connie, I, I just never clicked with him, but I, I was, I refused to allow that to inter- interfere with my d- daily duties, uh, in administration. Because you know, to be an idiot, you'd be an idiot not to see the star power. He's Randy Savage. For of course. God's sake. Yeah. So, uh, I wasn't going to go against my team and, uh, cause I didn't personally get along with him. You know, he was Vince's guy. He, he was always very close to Vince and that was good enough for me. I, I handed him off. I don't, I don't need to be involved. And if I didn't need to be involved and, and screw up the apple cart, so to speak, then don't. So, and that's kind of my philosophy. It's kind of a hands off. If I can help him, if there's things I can do for him, uh, airline tickets or our days off or whatever, I'll be happy to accommodate him, but, uh, but he wasn't my favorite guy. And, and, uh, I remember one time monsoon had to inter- intervene and savage came to TV where we were doing interviews cause he had heard a promo I did and he didn't understand why I was in, he was in all these, uh, commercial breaks in these non live event markets. And I told him, so you're a star. It adds to the value of the program. That's why I think you're trying to bury me. I, I couldn't even relate to that. How in the hell would I, why would I want to bury it? And how is you getting more television exposure to come do those three minute segments where you can say basically anything you want and express yourself, which you're very good at. Why would I want to see failure in that deal? It, it makes no sense, but that's the words of a, of a very insecure guy. And a lot of talents, when they get to a certain age, uh, they, they convince themselves that there's a conspiracy. God knows that's been around since the day I walked into my first uh, dressing room in 1974. Let's talk about, uh, a tragedy that happens. It takes place, unfortunately at the mid South Coliseum. It's supposed to be a big public birthday party and celebration for Jerry Lawler. And there's a night of, I guess we'll call it eighties nostalgia, the glory days of Memphis and Larry Booker, who we knew is Moondog spot, unfortunately passes away from a heart attack during a match. What can you tell us about Moondog spot? And I know you weren't there, but of course Lawler was, was this a traumatic event for Lawler? I mean, we would see him have his own heart attack at the desk of Monday night raw. This is a scary deal and a, and a, and a sad story and very unsettling. Yes. Very unsettling. Uh, Larry was a half of a really good tag team. I don't think they work mid South that much, but I did. I had a, he was an acquaintance. He wasn't, he, he spent most of his time in Memphis and he got his, I think he got a break in WWE. He got a lot of bookings. He got, he stayed busy. It seemed like, uh, but, a, but a very underrated hand. He's one of those territory guys that knew that if you don't draw money, you don't get paid much. So he worked his ass off to get on top of the card and, and, and he and his partner, uh, what well, is this one what we're talking about now? Spot, right? Yes. Yeah. So what, what's the other one? Rex. Yes. Moondog Rex. They were a good team. They're a good heel team. They had all the basic fundamentals of being able to feed a comeback, take some bumps and their work was believable enough that you didn't look through it. 
Let's talk a little bit about, uh, Mick Foley. He's going to come back at the very next raw and he's going to dominate that episode from Sacramento. Uh, of course he's stepping in for Steve Austin before the return is built up. And I guess the goal that's reported is it's going to be a WrestleMania angle. And Mick has gone on record as saying he was hoping that it was going to be against Hunter. And we know that it doesn't wind up being Mick and Hunter at WrestleMania 20. Would you have liked to have seen that Mick and Hunter one-on-one at 20? Two great workers, two great psychologists. The promos would have been timeless. Uh, you know, let's not forget how good Hunter was Yes, in that role. Uh, he, he became the top heel in the business. At least that's my take on it. I, I was around him daily. Uh, you know, I remember sitting in the Evansville, Indiana and signing him to his first big contract, uh, sitting on an anvil case in the back of the building and getting it signed and, and, uh, talking him through that. Uh, so I, I've always had uh, great respect for him. His, his in-ring work is. He got better and better and better. And from a pr- presentation standpoint, he always looked great. We didn't, we know that that's, you know, I get it, but he, he's just learned so much. And I think that's indicative of the job that he's doing today. With Foley on the show and Hunter away in Vancouver, making a movie, the focus is on Mick and Bischoff and they make a main event here. That's Kane, Randy Orton and Batista. So two thirds of evolution to Kane taking on Goldberg, Shawn Michaels, and Rob Van Dam. Foley also makes a match between Jerry Lawler and Jonathan Coachman. And, uh, the stakes are if coach loses, he's going to be fired. Of coach course does lose and he's <laughs> fired and everyone has to sing the na, na, na song. Hey, 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 good. Yeah. Uh, the band that sang that originally was called steam. How about that? The, uh, the joke with Bruce is Vince loves that goodbye song. Is that the way you remember it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why that tickles me, but it does. Eccentric billionaire. He likes what he wants and you're, you're either like it or you'll keep your mouth shut. The, uh, Trish Lita Jericho Christian story continues with Trish telling Lita how Jericho makes her feel like nobody ever has before. And she's falling for him. Lita doesn't trust him. Not your typical storyline. Feels a little soap opera ish. Jericho and Stratus are going to team up to take on Rico and Jackie Gata. Matt would pin Christian. Who's accompanied by Lita when Molly attacks Lita and distracts Christian. That leads to a segment where Christian and Jericho are talking in secret backstage. Forget the fact that there's a TV camera right in front of them. Uh, and they have a bet on who could sleep with Lita or Trish first. Trish is eavesdropping and starts crying. And I know that when AEW first started, Tony Khan was pretty out front about saying, we're not going to do stuff like that, where we're going to sort of insult the audience intelligence of, Hey, they're having this private secret conversation. They don't want anyone to hear <laughs> right in front of a camera on well, Tony's TV. right. Tony Khan's right on that deal. Yes. You take away this, the, you know, your job is not your job is to enhance what they're saying, not to uh, expose it as a obvious fraud. Yes. And, uh, Tony Collins right on that deal. And he's been right on a lot of things, but that's because he looks at things more often than not like a fan. Yes. And, uh, and so, you know, and 
being a fan, you, some of the things that uh, we all like different stuff. And, uh, but he was right on that deal. Uh, to me, it's just, it reeked of, it didn't reek of awesomeness. I'll put it that way. What does reek of awesomeness though, is AG one. I start every single day with a delicious scoop of AG one. It sets me up for success and I think you're going to love it. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you know, I started taking it at the start of the pandemic. My wife was on this train way before me since 2010. AG one has continually been improving their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. They call it the future of foundational nutrition. And I can't really argue that you see what they're doing is they're finding a way to support your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. So not only did I replace my multivitamin with AG one, but I also love that every scoop gets me my B vitamins for energy support and the adaptogens I need to balance my body's stress levels. And how about a little vitamin C and zinc to support my immune health. But my wife really likes that it's got the prebiotics and the probiotics and all the digestive enzymes for gut support. Try this out. You're going to be glad you did. I recommend it to all my friends and family. First of all, because I know there's a team of doctors and scientists behind it. And I know that it's been tested for all the different contaminants and it's been certified for sport and it's based on the latest standards and, and, and they're constantly evolving the product. Like I've never turned somebody on to AG one and they said, well, I didn't feel a difference. I don't like it. That, that's just never been my experience. Even my parents have started drinking AG one and they tell me they have not only better gut health, but they have more energy throughout the day. And that's been my experience. My wife tells me when she misses a day, she can tell the difference at the gym first thing in the morning, but I needed that extra energy in the afternoon. I was used to having like that three o'clock crash and I felt like I needed a little power nap. Not anymore. AG one has turned all that around for me. You're going to love it. Make it a part of your daily routine. You're going to set yourself up for success. 75 high quality ingredients, everything you need to support energy and gut support and your immune system. AG one is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why they've been a partner on this show for so long. And if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG one. So try AG one and get a free one year supply of vitamin D three K two and five free AG one travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to drink one.com slash JR that's drink one.com slash JR check it out. You'll be glad you did. Absolutely. Great product. Take look. I'm, I've said this, and I'm not going to belabor it. Our health is our most important asset without it. We can't do the things we need to do or want to do. AG one will help you stay healthy, get healthy, stay healthy. It's just a, and that's why you see their commercials, NFL games and college football and other big high profile, uh, events because, uh, it's a great product that works. Yes. So you have no excuse not to give it a shot, uh, cause it's a great deal right now. Drink he1.com slash JR. Give it a shot for your own personal health. You'll be glad that you did. I promise you. And if you don't, Jim will come whip your ass. <laughs> uh, Foley winds up running uh, in to count a pin here in the main event when Van Dam has Orton pinned. And the next week on raw Foley makes it Goldberg versus Kane Bischoff's going to start berating Foley. It winds up where he gets a Mr. Sacco in the mouth as the show's going off the air and the Foley deal, according to Meltzer came together very quickly. 
but the next week would feature an unpromoted appearance of a big time movie star, the rock, the rock is here and everybody loses their freaking mind. I'm curious from your perspective, is this something you remember being involved in? Is this rock calling Vince Vince calling rock you're running talent relations. What's your role in all of this is getting him in the fold in time for WrestleMania season, kind of a liaison communicator, you know, rock, uh, as evidenced by, uh, what he wrote for our, our book, uh, you know, he, he and I've always been close and because I never lied to him, I had, he always knew I respected his heritage, his legacy. Uh, it, we always had good working relationships. So I was involved to that degree where I could answer questions or give him information on the schedule or what have you, uh, without a problem, but he did primarily all of his stuff with, uh, Vince. And, uh, and, and that's a smart move by Vince, quite frankly. So, uh, I'm, uh, I, I think that, uh, he's, he's just a winner. He was a, he's a winner. And I really appreciate what he said about us and on his book, our book. So, uh, good dude, but yeah, how could you not be paying attention? Because he is a legitimate difference maker and getting him on the back on the team and back where we could see, see him more regularly was an important move in my view. The way the rock returns is saving Mick Foley from law resistance. And it's not just beneficial for the company. It's also beneficial for the rock. He's going to be promoting his new movie. He's got coming out in April walking tall with the rock headed in somehow, some way, Nathan Jones decides to go a wall and go home. Yeah. Jones is in Perth and walks into the show and tells people he's quitting the company and leaving the business and didn't work the show. Mind you, because he's Australian, he's been tasked to do a lot of media work to promote the event. Were you on this tour? How do you hear about Nathan Jones? Just walking out? Were you surprised by that? Well, yeah. Uh, Nathan had, Nathan didn't travel well. And Nathan sometimes had his, uh, downfall was his people skills. His look, his facials, his body par excellence, perfect, big heel body that would eventually turn baby face. And he would have been, he would have got over. He just didn't like to travel. He didn't understand the, the business as well as, uh, we would like for him to, I don't know how much he invested in, you know, uh, learning customs. What's what, what's accepted, what isn't so, uh, but I was not totally shocked that he, that he, uh, that he, he left. It just never, he never seemed comfortable I put it that way. But man, oh man, what a, what a physical package he was. Golly. He was, he was pretty amazing. So it, you never know, you know, you always want, I've always, that's one of the things I always wonder about could be another, another, uh, chapter for a book is guys that you wonder how would this have worked out if things had been different, right? I don't know what we could do to make Nathan comfortable in his surroundings. Uh, you gotta be a good traveler because you're going to travel a lot. And for a seven foot guy, sometimes that's really, really daunting. What's what's Vince's take on this? I mean, the word we heard as fans was he was a Vince project. He being Nathan Jones pronoun boy. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> but when he hears, Hey, his big monster, his personal pet project, he just walked off. He's out. He's gone. Does he blow a gasket? Is it just business as usual? I don't think he blew a gasket. I think he was disappointed Yeah, that it didn't work out because we had high expectations and high hopes for Nathan. It just was not meant to be. And sometimes no matter how good a manager you want to be, you try to be, sometimes there's just nothing that you can do about it. You can't change a, a guy's basic personality. If you don't like to travel and you don't want to be on the road, this is not the business for you. So I think that's kind of where we, we, we left it. You know, it's just, it was, was not meant to be, but, uh, I, again, I often wondered how great Nathan could have been if things had been different, but we'll never know. And the travel is probably the big issue. I mean, it's interesting when you talk about, you know, some of these guys who, you know, had they been able to make it work, what their lives could have looked like, but the travel, I mean, I wonder how many people just got out of the business because of the travel. I bring, keep bringing that up for Nathan, because the story goes, he's got a flight where he's in Korea to Singapore to Perth, and there's a layover in Russia. And this tour is just enough. He'd rather do anything else than this. Right. Um, that's a shame, but it is like the necessary evil of the wrestling business. You, you, right. you as you said, you, you're going to have to be a good traveler. Well, but like I said earlier, the illustration I used back in earlier was the fact that cowboy made sure he took care of Ernie, Ernie Ladd, the booker and JYD is top star. He bought them cars. They're traveling in a, uh, on the road, you know, five, six, seven days a week. And that's not an exaggeration, but, uh, it, it he, he, you, you we, there are things we couldn't do anything about. All those connections and getting from one international city to the other sometimes was out of, uh, the, the company's control. You know, uh, I know that AEW did a phenomenal job of getting everybody to London, uh, and safe, safely. And, uh, everybody showed up here we are and let's go do this thing for 80,000 people. Uh, so I still get a kick out of fans thinking that that number is fabricated. And I know that it wasn't. So it's a, well, JR just saying that, okay, well, whatever, believe what you want. Seriously, believe what the hell you want. But I can tell you that the 80,000 and change was, was real and legitimate and something that Tony Khan and AEW should be very, very proud of. That's no easy feat. And it looks like Conrad that the tickets are doing pretty good on the, on the next one. Oh yeah. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, uh, I don't know the exact number, but last I saw it was like 40,000 that they've sold and we're like eight months away or something crazy. So it is crazy. Yeah. Uh, speaking of crazy, the raw that has the return of the rock does a 3.82 rating Jericho and Christian are attempting to dig themselves out of the hole with Trish and Lita with flowers, but the girls are going to attack them with the flowers and it leads to the Dudleys defeating Jericho and Christian in a tag team match. Um, the finish is Trish and Lita doing the WhatsApp on both guys before the 3D. <laughs> and they complained to Bischoff, who would announce the two would then take on Trish and Lita at the pay per view. Jericho seems nervous, but Christian likes the idea. So we've got an intergender match on the books here. Flair's going to help Batista pin RVD in a non title match right before Orton takes on Van Dam at the pay per view. You can tell the focus is trying to build up evolution as a strong heel stable. 
And the main event of Kane and Goldberg turns into a lumberjack match with Flair, Orton, Batista, and Mark Henry at ringside. It's a DQ finish when all the heels attack. And the post match has Rob Van Dam, Sean, and Booker coming out to help uh, with Goldberg. And Shawn Michaels is going to super kick Kane, and Goldberg spears him to close the show. And that's our go home. We're finally here, Armageddon. And we're featuring uh, a pretty big time show here. But Armageddon 2002, a year prior, had the three stages of hell match with Sean and Hunter, and it did 335,000 buys. This show a year later, Armageddon 03, does 240,000 buys. Now, on the surface, I get how we could see that as a negative, and, and certainly just year over year, it is. But there was that thing known as the brand split. And we're splitting up pay-per-views as well. And this is just a raw show. So there's no SmackDown talent on the show. When you see the numbers are down, how much of that do you attribute to the brand split? And how much do you say, Hey, maybe they just didn't want to see Hunter Goldberg and Kane in a three-way. Uh, the latter more, more than anything. I think it okay. just wasn't the attraction that the fans wanted to see. Uh, it also showed you the, uh, drawing power of, uh, Sean and, and, and Hunter, they were featured fans knew what they're going to get. They're going to get a great match without question. So, uh, but I just think more often than not, you know, pay-per-views are, are attraction driven into the story attraction driven and, uh, the, the attraction for Sean and Hunter in the three stages of hell was more attractive, obviously based on the math. Then, uh, was there the, the, uh, the next show or next Armageddon that we're talking about now. So it was, uh, I, I, I just believe that attraction driven means, do you have what the audience wants to see? You'll know the answer to that question, uh, when the results come in, because sometimes you just can't, it's a head scratcher. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, the show here. It gets 68.9% thumbs up on the wrestling observer. Um, or I'm sorry, 68.9% thumbs down. So it's not well received. And Meltzer would say the final pay-per-view event of the year just exemplified the company's biggest problem, the lack of a new superstar. Perhaps the most surprising aspect of the ups and downs of the industry in recent years is the lack of great athletes who've tried to get into the business that grew up during the boom period. Just a few years ago, pro wrestling was more visible than ever and as popular on a national basis as it has been in decades. If ever one would think this would be a period where people who grew up watching wrestling when it was a big deal would be wanting to follow in the footsteps of their heroes. In fact, it hasn't worked out that way. And you don't see a slew of ex NFL fringe players or national caliber wrestlers in WWE developmental. Like you did just a few years ago. Now, granted the company cut way back on its developmental budget which two years from now will be looked at as a much bigger story than it is now. And that is something I think we should talk about because you have said before on this program, wrestling fans want new wrestling fans love new. And we know how important that was to your business when you were running talent relations. And certainly Gerald Briscoe's out there scouting and guys like Jim Cornette are cranking out superstars like John Cena and Batista and so many others. Yeah. But we're a few years in at this point. And it doesn't feel like we have like that next big thing right around the corner. And Meltzer's wondering how much of that is because we cut the developmental budget. Do you think in hindsight, it was a mistake to do that? I ask 
because about 10 years later after this is when we do the whole NXT thing and, and have a big facility. And as I understand it, it's been a loss leader for them, but it's paying dividends. Now they just landed yeah. a, a big television deal with the CW and it feels like they've got just a loaded roster of top stars. And a lot of those were guys who went through that system. Chat me up. Do you think at the time here, it was a mistake in hindsight to cut the developmental budget? Absolutely. It's one of those situations where it's change for change sake. Uh, you, you can't replace great, you know, great athletes, uh, with nothing with, with, uh, performers with workers. Uh, it's just too grueling a business when you factor in, as we talked about earlier, the travel and so forth, the physicality guys working a little snugger, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I was totally against it because what we had done, Conrad worked. Look at the stars. You know, you, you mentioned the, the Cornette's involvement, which was invaluable, but you know, I signed, uh, uh, Lesnar and Batista, Cena, Shelton and, uh, Randy Orton. That was one class. And so that system, excuse me, was working. So, uh, why change it? The only reason you would change it is that if you, your budget was reduced to the level that you couldn't pay some of these top guys, uh, to give it a shot. And, uh, we were spending big money before that. And then some of those funds were, uh, pulled back. And I think that was a huge mistake. And, and like I said, now you, the athleticism in all national television brands are probably at an all time high. So it came full circle, luckily for the wrestling business. Let's, uh, let's talk about Meltzer's take. He says, this feels more like a house show with Steve Austin, not on the show. It's noticeable that the big baby face reaction isn't there, but still we got 9,000 fans in Orlando for the event, a $450,000 gate. Let's get right into the matches. We start off with Booker T and Mark Henry. Meltzer would say the match was too long for Henry. And even in winning the program with Booker has taken him down a notch. So he's saying this isn't good for Booker. He's opening the show against Mark Henry, who we both think a lot of, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Is this the best use of Booker to be opening a pay-per-view like this? The opening part of it, I don't buy into because I've seen some great matches you know, I told this story about having to talk Eddie Guerrero off the ledge one night because he was opening the pay-per-view. I don't recall what pay-per-view it was, but, uh, it, it was a scenario where he felt, uh, underappreciated mm-hmm. until I sat down with him and explained how at least our concept was going to work or not, but we believe it was going to work. And it also set the table, set the bar high. In other words, uh, for, uh, the rest of the show. So I said, what I would do if I were you, Eddie is go out there and steal the show, you know, and I I've heard these old stories where they, the, the main event guys would get on to the other guys that preceded them on the show for, for stealing their thunder. You mean outworking you? Yeah. You mean performing better so that that happened there. So I don't, the, the opening, the show is irrelevant to me. Uh, and, and, uh, I wasn't crazy about that booking. I don't know what, no matter how creative you could create, you could 
handle the outcome and the creative, it still was, uh, uh, chemistry and things of that nature had an, it had an impact on that, but cause both those guys are deserving of better. And, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, it, it just didn't work out. So I, the, the opening, of the show didn't bother me, as I said, uh, but we could have done better booking with both guys. If we had put more thought into it. We, uh, we got to mention that Mark Henry is going to go on to become one of the better heels in WWE. I don't know that we were quite there yet in 2003. Speaking of not quite there yet in 2003, there was apparently a fire on the ramp as the flames from the Armageddon set are going to catch on fire on the, uh, entrance ramp. <laughs> it's never shown or acknowledged on TV, but as this match is going on, all the workers are there with fire extinguishers, trying to put it out. We've seen a few of these scary moments with fire over the years in WWE. Uh, how stressful is this for you when it feels like there might be an emergency situation in the building, but there's yeah. also a match going on in the ring and you're supposed to call it. And it is a live pay-per-view. <laughs> so Jim pay no mind to the fire and the emergency yeah. happening. Let's get excited right. about Mark Henry and Booker T here. Let's yeah. Let's just hope that the fire marshal doesn't say the building's got to be evacuated. Right. That's a little scary. So yeah, it was, uh, we're in an area where we're on paper. Some of these concepts uh, look viable, but the practical application of them, especially using something as unpredictable as fire or, you know, I know that wasn't planned, but, uh, we dodged a bullet there because it would have been very easy. Or somebody say, hold on shows over. And, uh, that didn't happen. Thank God. You guys do something kind of slick next. Mick Foley is going to come out for a promo in a suit. And he's going to plug that there is a petition to get Steve Austin reinstated and fans can sign up. You got to fill out your information. And we used to do this back in the day when earthquake squished the, uh, the Hulkster on the brother love set. And you wrote your postcards in to, uh, try to get your support for the Hulkster. And what they did is they used all your mailing information to then put you on the distribution list for a catalog for merch. <laughs> well, they're I doing would too. You would have done it. I would have done it. Yes. It made sense. You created your own mailing list yes. of interested uh, participants. And they're doing it again here. And it's pretty smart. Orton's going to come out to defend Austin being gone. Mick reveals a referee shirt underneath and, and announces that, guess what? I'm the special guest referee for your intercontinental title match against Rob Van Dam right now. Well, it doesn't really work. Randy Orton still wins the belt from Rob Van Dam. It's a two and a half star match. Randy Orton is now your intercontinental champion. Um, this is a big deal. This is the launch of Randy Orton and, uh, who better to help get him there and make him. And the intercontinental title and a win over Rob Van Dam. You're off to the races here, man. You got flair in your corner. Foley's your referee. You're beating Rob Van Dam. You're the intercontinental champ. He's off to the races here. Yeah. Yeah. It was good move. Randy was a great intercontinental champion. Uh, he's one of the greatest talents of all time. Yes. Uh, without a doubt in my view, uh, was he a handful to, to manage at times? Yeah, he was, but not all the time. He was headstrong. He was convinced he was a young, younger generation. He was convinced that his way was the right way. The issue becomes as a manager, 
is that you, you, you want to prevent the talents from thinking that their way is the only way because it generally isn't. Like I said earlier, you know, this is an old wrestling expression. There's more than one right way to get things done. And that was the case there. Randy was great. And, and ironically, you know, I didn't realize how long he'd been away because I've not, you know, I watched AEW religiously because that's who pays me. And that's the team I'm on, which I'm proud to say, but, uh, you know, Randy's just, he hadn't missed a beat is my point. Right. He's still rolling, man. And so are Christian and Chris Jericho, but in this era they're up next and they're going to be taking on Trish Stratus and Lita. That's right. It's a battle of the sexes match and, uh, it's two men versus two women, not even a mixed tag, but straight up intergender. And Meltzer would say, as far as making the best out of the situation, this match stole the show It had the most heat and everyone did their part. The story was that Jericho didn't want to hurt Stratus, but he's not a baby face because he didn't care about hurting Lita. Christian simply didn't care at all. The women were yeah. stiff in their offense, which they needed to be because of the inherent silliness of this as a match for any length of time. Christian at one point refused to pin Stratus and Lita did a sweet hurricane Rana off the top on him. Finish was Jericho attempting to sweet talk Stratus and Christian snuck up behind her with a schoolboy, two and three quarter stars. I mean, when you think about how loaded this card is with hall of fame talent for Meltzer to say this match stole the show. And it's two guys against two ladies. Yeah. Who'd have thunk it? These guys were doing, I mean, they're, they're putting on a show here for that to be the takeaway. Yeah. Well, they invested in their program and their character. They saw this was the route to the promised land. And if, if through our efforts and our work on this particular storyline, uh, we all got a chance to quote unquote, get over. It didn't matter who went over. It's who's going to get over. And I think that, uh, uh, a tip of the black hat would go to, uh, Lita and Trish and, and, and Jay and, and, uh, Chris, uh, ironically, the two men are now in AEW, which speaks to the quality depth that, uh, AEW is building quality depth is a key term. Sean Michaels is going to, uh, pin Batista in 12 minutes and 28 seconds. Most of the match is Batista working over Sean's back. Sean is using a lot of Ric Flair style chops for his offense. According to Dave, Batista gives Sean a spine buster teases a super kick. Then a second spine buster. Sean hits the super kick out of nowhere. And that's all she wrote two and a half stars. You know, we know eventually. Cause I, I think there was a bit of a debate. Who's going to be the breakout guy here of evolution. Will it be Randy Orton? Will it be Batista? And short term, it wound up being Batista long-term probably Randy Orton. Yeah. But you just saw this big moment for Randy winning the intercontinental title from Rob Van Dam. We don't get the same thing from Batista here, but he refuses to leave the ring. And, and I don't know. What do you think about. Batista not getting the win here. Was this a missed opportunity? I don't think so. He he's, he was building uh, and building that persona and he had Nate's with him. If I'm not mistaken, based on that picture we just saw. Uh, so no, I don't think so. Sometimes you got to step back a little bit. Sometimes you got to reevaluate. We were still learning how to book Dave Batista based on his skill set and what he did well. You always want to put your talent into position of things that they can do well. 
and the things that uh, were laid out for Dave to execute, he, he, he did very, very well. He just wasn't as well-rounded and had as many skill sets as, uh, as, as Randy Orton at that time, but he had the look and the potential to be a big star of which he eventually became. We should mention that, uh, during the pregame show, which is on heat, they do an angle where Maven is upset at Matt Hardy for bragging about what he'd done to Lita and challenges him to a match. And they're supposed to wrestle, but because Batista won't leave the ring, they're brawling on the outside and Maven winds up in the ring and he gets hit with the demon bomb and then Batista leaves. So Hardy just climbs in the ring, covers Maven and counts the pin himself. And then over the public, uh, he grabs the microphone and announcing announces himself as the winner. So I love this as, as a heel, you know, a quote unquote chicken shit heel deal for Matt Hardy. Let's just yep. recap the last few weeks. I'm going to propose to my girlfriend. She gets offered a match. She accepts. He refuses to help her. She loses her job, dumps her the next week, slams a cage on her head. Now the other guys have an issue with what he's doing. No big deal. Batista kicks their ass. He covers them, counts his own pin, announces himself the winner, not even a real match. It's great. I mean, Matt Hardy in this was a wrestler, a referee and a ring announcer. That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, you make uh, good use of the skills of the talent, I guess is one way of looking at it, but all that stuff worked for me. I didn't have any issues with any of that storyline. It was, was it believable? Ah, I don't know, but was it feasible, uh, men and women having issues? Uh, yeah, it was feasible, but it was sometimes hard to believe, but I enjoyed the hell out of it. To me, it was very entertaining. Next up, we get Ric Flair and Batista capturing the tag team titles, winning a seven team gauntlet style match in 20 minutes and 48 seconds. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Uh, the crowd's dead for most of it. The Dudleys are in second to last beating Caden Jindrak. Jindrak's going to miss a drop kick gets put on the mat with a, a 3d pinned by Bubba. Bubba's selling a shoulder injury for the next match with Scott Steiner and test test hits Devon with a chair for a near fall. Bubba hits the Bubba bomb on test for the pinfall. Dudleys are announced as the winners and still champions. And then here comes Bischoff and he says, there's one team left evolutions. Music plays. Dudley's are selling after, you know, they've had two big brutal matches here and here come flair and Batista and immediately flair's working over Bubba's leg for the figure four Batista hits the demon bomb on Devon 43 seconds later. Batista and flair are the tag champs. So while we could say, man, it would have been cool if Batista would have beat Shawn Michaels. Well, when it was all said and done, he lost to Shawn. But he beat the shit out of Maven and won the tag straps with Ric Flair. Evolution, man. Gold coming up everywhere for the young bucks here of Randy Orton and Dave Batista. And I guess the old dog knows a few new tricks. Ric Flair's a tag team champion. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I thought it was good. I liked it. Uh, because one of the reasons I liked it from an administrator was the fact that Batista got to be around Nate yes. on a regular basis understanding things that did not necessarily were on camera or in the ring. And I thought that was invaluable for days of, uh, evolution, no pun intended. So, uh, I, I like that good a lot. Anytime you can put a veteran who's as, you know, nobody's greater than flair, but anytime you can put a, a veteran like Nate 
with a promising young green guy like Batista, you oftentimes have a chance to come out with a win. And I think we came out with a win there because Batista went on to have great success. Molly Holly is going to retain the women's title over ivory in four minutes and 23 seconds. Uh, Dave would say this was put in the death spot quote. It was a match not even announced until the heat show. And it appeared Jim Ross didn't even know about the match taking place. Lawler said he heard about it because he watched heat. Ivory hasn't been on raw in a long time. So it was hopeless that anyone would care. It wasn't good either. The finish was a botched rolling reverse cradle, holding the tights quarter star. Uh, but I guess we needed a buffer because what's next is triple H winning his, as Meltzer calls it his eighth so-called world title. I don't know why he wrote it that way. Yeah. And why is it so-called? I don't, I don't get that. Is that just a knock at Hunter? I think it's because once upon a time, if you recall, Eric just handed triple H the new big gold belt to introduce that belt over on raw, Oh, but still okay. it's like, uh, who cares? Yeah. Uh, Triple H wins this three-way with Goldberg and Kane. Goldberg's going to get a big reaction and chance coming out, but it doesn't, the fans don't really stay with it. It's 19 minutes and 28 seconds. And Meltzer would say, this is probably Goldberg's longest, uh, match of his career besides elimination chamber, which he wasn't even in until the very end. Um, but eventually they get the heat on him. He makes the big comeback. He spears Kane. There's some brawling and punching. And now here's Orton and flair trying to interfere and Goldberg does a short spear on triple H Kane saves him. There's some confusion and Goldberg is on Kane triple H low blows Goldberg Kane choke slams Goldberg Batista pulls Kane out of the ring and triple H is able to pin Goldberg to win the title. It comes off flat with the crowd. Meltzer didn't love it. He gave it a star in three quarters, but the story is evolution has all the straps now. The world title is in possession of the leader of the group, triple H the tag straps are with the elder statesman of Ric Flair and maybe the next big thing in Batista and Randy Orton is the intercontinental champion. And the belief is Hunter was a huge Ric Flair fan and a huge fan of the four horsemen. Right. And this kind of feels like 1986 JCP, except instead of a, you know, a U.S. title or a TV title. It's the intercontinental title, but you've got all the gold in one faction. Do you think this was Hunter's sort of homage to the horseman? Absolutely. Without a doubt, not even debatable in my opinion. And, and, and what a good creative role model the horsemen were. I mean, you know, come on. It's funny that, a, a you know, Tully Arn, flair, uh, then whomever else, the fourth guy is Barry Luger, whomever, uh, they carried the company for a long time, the, the Crockett company. And, uh, and so the concept works, we know it works. We've seen it, but I think, uh, the horseman influence was definitely present and accounted for, uh, in evolution without a doubt. We, uh, we should mention in the observer, Dave would say that Hunter actually wanted the belt back at survivor series, but he knew he was going to be out for the movie. So they pushed it back to here. And he's speculating, was this really good for Goldberg? Because now at this point, Hunter has pinned Goldberg twice in two weeks. Uh, but we know ultimately how much of that really matters. Goldberg's going to be leaving in a handful of months anyway. Yeah. But that brings a lot of questions around. Like Eric wants to know how would JR rate Goldberg's world title reign in WWE? Did you consider this run a success, Jim? 
Oh gosh. Hard to say yes on that one. I thought the, his title reigns were too short. We got impatient. Uh, and, uh, Goldberg was kind of a pawn in that. So I, and to answer your question and the, and this gentleman's question, no, I, I thought we, we left a lot of money on the table. Uh, we could have done better. We could have done better. I don't, I don't know what the reason is or whatever. It doesn't matter today. I don't know anyway, but Goldberg, we could have got more mileage out of Goldberg and his TV persona than we did. Francis Reyes says, what do you think of WWE and the business as a whole by the end of that year? Now, when he says business at the whole, we should acknowledge that TNA is a thing. They're about 18 months old at this point. You guys are seeing one of your better years, bottom line wise, but you have had to cut some, some budget and, and you're down a few stars. And I mean, where were you feeling about just the state of the wrestling business? If you could take us back to the end of Oh three, did you think that, Hey, we're on the downward trend and we're trying to just hang on to what we got. We got to rebuild. What was the, the thinking at the end of the year? Well, you don't have access to the rock on a regular basis, right? Uh, Austin's health was uh, an issue. So I just named arguably the two biggest stars, uh, in uh, the modern era of pro wrestling. Yes. And we had them on our roster. They seemed to be, they, they look good in a suit, so to speak, but you know, we didn't have access to them all the time. So finding stars to replace them was, uh, it was challenging. I just thought we're, we're going to move into some uncharted waters. And I was hopeful that somebody was going to break through. Somebody was going to break through and become the next guy. And so you kind of have to wait on that to happen. You know, is it going to be RVD? Is it going to be uh, one of those heels in evolution like Randy or even triple H turning baby face? You know, there are a lot of unanswered questions and they're at a high level. So I, I was a little uneasy about not the individuals involved in the process, but in, okay, where's this going to end up? Who's going to take ownership of the top babyface spot in the company. And those answers were, you know, to be determined. It's pretty crazy to think about too, because you hit the two biggest stars right away. And as a reminder, you know, we know that the NWO came back in 02 and and Austin walked out and blah, blah, blah. But Austin has his last match. I know that he would come back years later against Kevin Owens, but the last match is at WrestleMania 03 against the rock. So that's at the end of March. Well, fast forward to the end of April, the rock's going to lose to Goldberg and then he's going to go to Hollywood. So really you run through may through the end of the year. So more than half the year for the first time in a long time with no rock, no Austin. It does feel like you're trying to find that next big thing. Goldberg was here, but I think everybody's still debating, you know, what should have, what should have happened. What we know didn't happen is he didn't catch fire and maybe he wasn't positioned properly, but it feels like we're trying to find our way. Like what is this next version of WWE look like? And that seems like a problem that we had a decade prior, like with Hulk Hogan had been the face that runs the place for so long through the eighties and early nineties that when he leaves in 93, yes, we're going to try to go with Brett, but it doesn't feel like we had really made an established Brett as a top guy. And because 
fans didn't maybe perceive him to be the level of star from a pop culture standpoint that Hulk Hogan was the business was down for a bit. No denying Brett's one of the best wrestlers of all time, but was he the draw Hogan was that's not debatable. It gets hot again with Austin and rock. And it feels like we're sort of seeing history repeat itself where we don't really have the next thing ready, but damn, we're doing our best on shows like this to make guys like Batista and Randy Orton, but maybe we're a year too slow on that. What do you think of that? Timing is, is the name of the game. Yeah. I don't know, Connie. Uh, you can certainly look at it that way and say, well, we are a year late. I don't quite think so, but maybe we're a year late, but you know, trying to replace an Austin or a rock is really stop and think about it. It's impossible. It really is impossible. Who on the roster is going to step up to step out. And that's what we didn't know. That's what we didn't know. All I know is, is that it's, and I still believe what I said is a bold statement, but you, you can't, uh, you, you can't, you can't replace that. Yeah. Those, those guys are, are generational once in a lifetime talents at the came along at the basically same time. It's Mantle and Maris, you know, it's Frazier and Ali. It's all these great combinations of these of these matches. It's like coming up in next November of Oklahoma and Alabama. So it's, uh, uh my world, your world. So anyhow, uh, I, I was, uh, a lot of unanswered questions. God almighty. It was, it was, uh, hard to manage. It was hard to process because I couldn't find the answers. And I don't know that anybody really had the answers. It was a wait and see who's going to get over. Well, let's wait and see what we're going to do next week. We're going to throw you guys the keys to the show. We want to hear from you. What topic would you like for us to cover next week? We're going to let Jim reach down deep in his sack and pull out a great show for you next week. Uh, tweet us it's at Jr. grilling over on Twitter. Love to hear your suggestions there. Of course, you can find us on, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that jazz at Jr. grilling, by the way, you can support our show, the easiest, cheapest, best way at grilling Jr. on youtube.com. And there's still time for you to go ahead and pre-order the brand new book from Jim Ross at Jr. book 50. That's Jr. book 50.com Jr. book 50.com. And of course you can still get a little stocking stuffer. If you're ready for some merch for a wrestling fan in your life over at grillingjrts.com. That's grillingjrts.com. We got hats, tumblers, t-shirts, cutting boards, hoodies, whatever you're looking for. It's at grillingjrts.com. But, uh, what everybody knows about Jim this time of year is it's grilling season. You know why? Because every day is grilling season. I love smoking stuff and I love smoking stuff with a little bit of a rub. And although he doesn't call it a rub, I'm telling you the all purpose seasoning is a home run. It tastes great on everything. You'll also find two types of barbecue sauce, the regular and the hot speaking of hot, he's got JR's red ass hot sauce and some Chipotle ketchup, some main event mustard, the beef jerky's back in stock. And I don't know why he's still doing it, but Lord have mercy. There's a handful of autograph figures and trading cards over there. <laughs> the trading cards. If you just price what he's selling them for versus what they're sold for on eBay is crazy. Go buy everything he has and just list it on eBay. If him and Steven link want to give the money away, <laughs> let them go get it. JRsbbq.com, As he always says, it costs nothing to look right, Jim. Not a damn thing. And we, business has been great. You still got time to get things shipped. 
somewhat reliable, reliably, uh, as far as the carriers are concerned, but, uh, you know, we're, we're burning daylight here. We need to, if you're going to order something to make sure it's delivered by the holidays, it'd be a good idea to do it sooner than later. Uh, jrsbbq.com. We never closed. Venice has been great. I think we're, as far as I know, we're, uh, everything's in stock. So, uh, it's all good, but we really appreciate the, your loyalty. Our business is growing exponentially. And, uh, for somebody that doesn't have an ad budget, don't have outside you know, television, uh, uh, help or what have you. Uh, it's a, it's a, uh, it's been a real blessing. This has been a great holiday season for us. And thanks to you guys, quite frankly, that's where it starts and ends. So thank you very much. And, uh, order today. <laughs> Check it out. JRSBBQ.com. And, uh, don't forget tickets are on sale tomorrow for stings last match in Greensboro. Uh, I'm advocating. We need JR and Tony on the call for that match. It would bring me back to, uh, 1988 where it all began putting stinger on the map at the very first clash of the champions in that same arena. And, uh, don't forget AEW coming to a town near you, including Oklahoma city. Tickets are on sale now, AEWTIX.com. And uh, we're, we're hopeful, we're optimistic that you can see Jim in person at the World's End pay-per-view in Long Island at the end of the month. That's AEWTIX.com. Jim, I'm looking forward to it, man. I, I'm, I'm excited to see what our listeners can come up with for topics, what they want to hear us talk about. I didn't really know what to expect coming into this show, but we got to debut your book. We got to talk about you know, Austin and rock leaving and, and who's up next. And there were lots of little lessons throughout this show that were learned 20 years ago that maybe we'll see again in the near future. And I think that's, what's fun about doing a deep dive on some of these topics is drawing the similarities of then and now. All right. Yeah. I appreciate it. That's a, I, had a, I had a lot of fun today. You know, it's a good show brought back a lot of memories. Uh, it was a crucial time in the pro wrestling business. Uh, and so and I love the way you brought things forward in 93 Hulk leaving, uh, and then being replaced. Then I, in my role, I faced this challenge with Austin and rock, not being available all the time. And that's hard to, that's hard to overcome. So fun show. I enjoyed it. Brought back good memories and hopefully folks will continue to learn a little bit about, uh, uh, the infrastructure of pro wrestling. And that's what we're here for. Have fun and enlighten. So good stuff, Conrad. You did a great job today. You did a great job today. And we're glad to hear that you're on the mend and getting better and better. And can't wait to hear from you next week. I can't believe Christmas is right around the corner, but, uh, knowing that you're getting mail delivery cornbread dressing makes me happy. That's right. So that's a hell of a deal, isn't it? I'm pumped I, for I, you. I, I, I was, uh, I'm just trying to think of what else I can mooch out of those kids. Let's do it. <laughs> Make me a pie. Why With no not? sugar. And if you got some blue chew, I know another kind of pie that Jim likes we'll oh, talk about yeah, that yeah, another yeah. time. Oh, wow. <laughs> we'll see you next week right here on grilling Jr. with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. We love you guys. Thanks very much for supporting what we're doing and don't forget to join us next week and tell a friend. Hey, Hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little more about what adfreeshows.com is all about. Get early ad-free access to more than a dozen of your favorite wrestling podcasts every single week, starting at just nine bucks. That's less than 20 cents an episode each month. 
And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple Podcasts or your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Ad-Free Shows also has thousands of hours worth of bonus content and docu-series like Title Chase, Eric Fires Back, Conversations with Conrad, and The Insiders. Plus new series like The Book with David Crockett, Monday Mailbags with Mike Kyoto and Nick Patrick, and a whole lot more. And you want to talk about early. You can't get any earlier than listening to the shows live. You can be a part of the live studio audience as we record the podcast. Plus ride shotgun alongside your favorite childhood heroes for live watch alongs, Q and A's and other interactive experiences every single month. Come on now, see for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans from around the world have discovered that adfreeshows.com is the best value in wrestling. Check it out today. And hey, when you do, the first week is completely free at freeshows.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.